welcome to Double Oz 7. This is my Timothy Dalton voice as we get ready to record episode 22 of Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast. And if you haven't guessed it already, we are here to talk about the living daylights, the, the change of the guard for James Bond, another soft reboot, recast, uh, back to the basics, back to dangerous, uh, hard-edged Bond, or as I'll spend a lot of time describing this episode, anything but. Um, <laughs> I'm not really a fan of this movie, uh, but we'll get into that later. So, uh, yeah, get ready for Timothy Dalton, lots of it. I am Colin, or as you'll know me as in two episodes, Jack Wade. Uh, my name is Noah, and I have nothing to declare on this episode. And my name is Ben, and once we're finished recording here, feel free to just stop by my house and uh, listen to my Barry Manilow <laughs> collection. <laughs> yeah, because in reference to that, we not only have a new James Bond in this movie, we have a new Money Penny, and uh, we have uh, the first appearance of um, uh, Brad Whitaker slash Jack Wade, Jodon Baker, and uh, the Aston Martin's back, so there's something good going on here. And uh, overall, I mean, I'm taking some shots at this movie already, but uh, I'll just sort of start off with my general opinions on The Living Daylights. This always was one of my least favorite Bond movies, which I think is kind of tainted based on the fact that Timothy Dalton's my least favorite Bond. And uh, I'll have a lot of explanations why throughout this, but I I can honestly say over the last few times I've seen this movie, I don't dislike the movie at all. I think this would be a pretty good movie, not necessarily a great movie, but a pretty good movie with another actor. And it's not that Timothy Dalton is a bad Bond because there really are no bad Bonds. But I don't see him as being anywhere near the best Bond. Um, He's easily my least favorite. And I think that there's a lot of moments in this movie that really could have worked a lot better with him. Uh, I'll not throw all the blame on Timothy Dalton. I mean, the, the, the movie itself was sort of at the last minute tailored for him. And comedy's not really his thing. But if you look at the movie itself, there's still a lot of goofy gags in this movie that maybe uh, just with him, it didn't all come together. But overall, I'm I'm still fairly satisfied with the movie. I'd say uh, we'll kind of find out where it's going to place in my rankings at the end of this. Uh, I really enjoy um, this film. I think it's one of the ones I've seen the least, only because like Octopussy was never available when I was a kid from the video store. So it took me. It was one of the last of the first twenty that I got to see. Um, so I've seen a lot more of them more often, but. I really enjoy it. I think it's a strong introduction for Dalton. I don't hate Dalton as much as Colin does. Um, And I think it's a really good action-packed thing. The film does come with its flaws, but most James Bond films do. Um, I think a lot of people remember this, Peter Travers included, as just the Bond with no comedy. But I still feel like there was a lot of goofy and comedy stuff in here. It's just a lot more subtle than Roger Moore. Um, I like that it was, I wouldn't say a full reboot, but it's a bit of a reboot after seven more films. Um, so overall, I think it's a really strong Bond film. We'll get into the maybe the villains and the henchmen in a bit, which maybe bring it down a bit, but... And I do think it's missing a bit of the heart and soul of what a James Bond film is. But 
yeah, I have to say I really enjoyed this in the past and I really enjoyed it after this rewatch. I thought it was a lot of fun and a cool 80s action film, unlike one we'll get to <laughs> next episode. I actually think, Noah, I've discovered why this was never available for you to print um, just, just randomly. I was reading a trivia tidbit about this, and it said apparently the DVD of The Living Daylights was pulled out of circulation because after 15 years, the distribution license sold from Dan Jack to MGM had expired, and they couldn't resolve it. So they had to stop making this DVD for a while. So there that you go. That's, that's why Video City never had it. <laughs> yeah. We'll solve that mystery quite quickly then. <laughs> Breaking news in the middle of the I thought your it was going to be like, um, because I always hide it. And I love this film. Yeah. Also. I thought you were going for a joke there, but there, there we go. One that copy could be in the reason why. <laughs> one copy in Tasmania, and I always had it. Um. Uh, well, look, I this, I think we've, again, such a varying degree of opinions here. Colin is anti-Dalton. Noah's in the middle of Dalton. I'm very pro-Dalton. Um, I I think that Dalton is and, and is sort of really increased on this rewatch. And I, I will say I've also watched License to Kill a bit ahead of time. Um, but I am, I'm a massive fan of Dalton. And I honestly feel that since Daniel Craig has come into the picture, he's only um, made Timothy Dalton a better Bond because um, I honestly feel that Timothy Dalton was ahead of his time considering how we've changed the Bond universe into what we've got now with Daniel Craig. And I guess we're going to discuss this over the next two films. Um, yes, I, I I agree that sort of some of the comedy and that's not there, but it is there in, in some aspects. But I, I don't feel as though that's the way this film and the next film really were... Um, you know, going about it. Um, I think Dalton just really fits into the part well. I mean, we've had more for so long. I mean, he was, you know, old as we just got rid of him. And now we're kind of back to almost a, a youthful Bond. He's not really that young, but he's still a lot younger than um, Roger Moore. And it's kind of going back to a lot of the roots of the character. And it's just, a, it's a, such a different take on James Bond often compared a lot to maybe how William Fleming sort of imagined him. And again, I know we'll talk a lot about that throughout these episodes, but I, the film itself I think is fantastic. I mean, it's going really back to a lot of real spy elements and kind of really going into that world of things that we haven't had in some time. I mean, we don't have him going into space or chasing a blimp over the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, it's really kind of spy elements to this film, which is enjoyable and... You know, it's it's going to be just fascinating to see how our opinions change in this and kind of, as Colin brought up, how this would be with a different actor because, I mean, we nearly had a couple of different actors, including one who would be joining us in a couple of films anyway to be Bond. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this film. I'm excited for the, the Dalton era and, sadly, unlike the Moore era, which we were there for about 17 years, we're only going to be here for about 17 minutes for Dalton. But um, still, 17 minutes is a good 17 minutes for Ben Waterworth. There's one thing I want to clarify, and that's that I'm not necessarily anti-Dalton. Um, I think that Dalton could have been a good Bond. I think that everything about him, it just seems like they're trying too hard. I feel like Dalton's trying too hard. They, they had this great idea where they wanted to go back to the the dangerous Bond and the hard-edge Bond. Those are the two words that are most commonly associated with him. And I just find in watching this movie that there really isn't a lot of that here. And more than anything, I, I'm not really going to be trying to convince people throughout this episode that Dalton was bad or that the movie was bad, but more just these perceptions people have about the Living Daylights and the Dalton movies are kind of inaccurate because i think that there's a lot of things we're going to cover in here um i see the argument against what most people defend with this 
but as Ben mentioned, in, this was not necessarily supposed to be Timothy Dalton's movie. There's, again, rumors out there that it was supposed to be uh, Roger Moore. I, I highly doubt that's true. Um, <laughs> Moore himself had quit. The name's Bond, <laughs> James Bond. Make that well, seven hours. <laughs> Let's be honest, Moore had quit in For Your Eyes Only, and if they got him back for Octopussy because they felt the series needed him, and he did A View to a Kill, and he, he's always been on record as saying that he knew when making A View to a Kill it was going to be his last. There's no way that they ever planned this to be him, but they had screen tested other actors, and uh, most notably Sam Neill was one of them, and uh, Pierce Brosnan was the other, as Ben was referring to, that we will see in a few movies. And the role really did go to Pierce Brosnan in this. And I think that's the first thing we need to talk about because it does set up, I think, a lot of what's in this movie. Um, Pierce Brosnan was making a TV show called Remington Steel. And uh, I, I did see the show when I was younger. My mom was a big Pierce Brosnan fan. And after the Pierce Brosnan movie started coming out and I had an interest in Bond, she was saying, you know, I called this guy as Bond back in the 80s. She would always tell me that like when Remington Steel started on the air, in the 80s, she would watch and be like, this guy would make a great James Bond. And uh, obviously somebody agreed because Pierce was the one cast in this movie and only because of, you know, a last minute recall by the, the network or the producers of Remington Steel, he had to pull out. And when you hear Pierce Brosnan, like nothing does it justice. When Pierce Brosnan himself tells this story on the Everything or Nothing documentary, oh. which I think everybody should watch, yes. it's honestly heartbreaking. Yes. Like I almost had a tear in my eye watching him tell that Very story. Uh, but yep. but really what happened to that is that the movie was made for Pierce Brosnan because it was so last minute. He was cast and they just simply couldn't announce it until the after Remington Steel was cancelled, the contract had expired. There was a certain period before they had the rights to renew the show again. And this movie was sort of tailored to Pierce. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking Pierce would have really nailed this movie. And that's why I don't necessarily think that everything is, you know, just Dalton that, that doesn't sit well with me in this movie. Um, they had to do some last minute scrambles. And some of these sequences, I think Brosnan would have really pulled off. I don't know if uh, you guys have ever watched this trying to picture Brosnan in the movie or not. Well, I think maybe that's Dalton's issue then, that he's the sloppy seconds of James Bond, that uh, maybe he, why he isn't quite the best up there. Um, yeah, well, I just want to point out that I've seen the Sam Neill screen test multiple times, and I think he would have made a great Bond, uh, maybe not over Dalton, but mm-hmm. I don't know if they fit him in for a view to a kill or something. like. That. He does a really strong screen test. He kind of looks a bit like... Brosnan cross with Moore or something like that. Um, so I think he would have been good. Yeah, I've never really pictured it with Brosnan, but I think, if anything, the Dalton films are closest to the Brosnan films if you compared all the different kind of eras of James Bond. So I think you could fit Brosnan into uh, both The Living Daylights and License to Kill, but uh, it just really bums me out that there was never a third Dalton film. Like, I'm not saying that there should have been one instead of Goldeneye, but if they could have just fit one in between, and I'm sure we'll touch on it, but I really think people would hold him in a bit of a higher regard if he had three because he would be a bit more memorable. But yeah, I guess you could see Brosnan in this role, but ultimately I think it actually worked out the better that he didn't get this role right now and they saved mm-hmm. it to when he was a bit older. 
Well, I, I was going to say that. I, as a huge Brosnan fan, I'm actually quite glad that we didn't get him in this film, not just because, um, you know, I wouldn't want to see him in more, but I don't know. Like, I think Goldeneye was just the perfect start for Brosnan, and we'll get to that. I mean, it's just, I think it was just perfect. And look, as much as I'm a massive Brosnan fan, I don't necessarily think Brosnan really fits into the real the way they were trying to portray Bond in this film and then the next film. Um, obviously, we'll get to Licence Kill, which you could say was maybe tailored a little bit more around um, Timothy Dalton rather than this one, as you were saying, Colin, kind of Dalton really just playing it, you know, and what Brosnan was meant was to be. that was tied around the eight um, films, actually. Well, yeah. I mean, again, that's something that I think we really should... We'll, we'll, talk. we'll talk about is kind of... Which I think affects a lot of how these two films are portrayed as well and how they went about it. But again, we'll talk about that. You mentioned kind of Dalton as the sloppy seconds. I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I mean, Dalton was kind of courted about six times previously before Living Daylights to play uh, Bonham. And we talked about that way back in You Only Live Twice. Um, oh, sorry, I want to mention Secret Service right. after You Only Live Twice. Um, oh, here was he, he was. We have nothing to declare. <laughs> I mean, he was about 12 years old uh, for the <laughs> Secret Service, but, you know, he was thought about again for Diamonds Are Forever, then For Your Eyes Only, then Octopus, and then a view. I mean, so they've wanted, they wanted Dalton for a yeah, very long I think time, we've and all they finally got him. A bit like that. Um, they've always really yeah, wanted which is, which is, Yeah, and we've talked a little bit about that, how it's kind of good that they always, once they get somebody in mind, they always seem to stick to their guns until they can eventually get them. So Sam Neill might have a chance uh, after Daniel Craig uh, retires. I, I, I've seen bits of the Sam Neill one. I don't know. I mean, look, I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan. Sam Neill is forever Dr. Alan Grant for me. Um, and the fact that we could have nearly had a Kiwi Bond, um, <laughs> I don't know about that. I was reading other potential Bonds and to notice that Christopher Lambert and Mel Gibson were considered. Oh, we dodged a bullet there, I think, with those two. In fact, Fairness, though, it was kind of like a bit of pre-lethal weapon, wasn't it? Or not quite pre-lethal weapon. But it was, uh, lethal did, weapon was around about 87. Yeah, I think lethal it? weapon is what he made as opposed to this. So Yeah, so what he right. would have been known one, as is Mad Max. So I could definitely see what they were well, going for, but it would have sucked. Yeah. Well, the interesting one, too, I read, too, is a rumour about Christopher Reeve. Now, I know he's American, but, I mean, look, he's kind of got that look about him, doesn't Mr. Reeve? So well, and so does uh, Brandon... Oh, what's his name? Brandon someone or other, who played Superman in that horrible Superman film. Brandon. Oh, uh, Brandon Ruth. Yeah, he's yes. got a bold look to him, too. <laughs> oh, he's gone into big things well, since Superman. Well, <laughs> let's, let's but... stick with Superman here. I mean, Henry well, Cavill, the, the other was... young one, the guy in Man oh, of yeah. Steel, and Henry Cavill and he is was British. the up. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, yes. Brandon Ruth went on to go in Chuck, which is American spy television show, and Dalton played a recurring character for one season of Chuck. So there you go. Well, well, I actually, I'm a huge Superman Returns defender. So <laughs> really? I like that movie. Kevin Spacey's no, I, Lex yeah. Luthor. I, mean, I went to that film when I was the only one in the cinema when I watched that film. Because <laughs> you weren't snug. You're the only one in the town. Stuck <laughs> <laughs> that was cinema. <laughs> hey, he did see it only last week, so... <laughs> yeah. The Snugs in uh, one picture. Yeah, so... <laughs> like we said, the movie was kind of rewritten a little bit um, when they did have Dalton come on board, which does explain you know, how some of the stuff here doesn't necessarily feel like it would fit Brosnan, but doesn't necessarily feel like it would fit Dalton. Um, I don't know if most people are aware, but... The original uh, title of the movie, The Living Daylights, was almost temporarily disregarded for a more uh, 
plot acceptable title of James Bond joins Al Qaeda, um, but they decided to go back to the living daylight. <laughs> Allah Akbar, James Bond. <laughs> that's that's for later in the podcast. James Bond but, in uh, Afghanistan. They, <laughs> we're going to use New York, but they changed. <laughs> but the movie basically starts out um, with uh, a, a classic James Bond staple that's returning here, which is M on the scene, uh, M's office. This time in the back of an airplane, which <laughs> logistically makes absolutely no sense, but it's kind of nice to have uh, another M on the scene. And you find out that all of the double O's are there, so this may be the only time. I didn't count them. I don't know if there were nine of them there, but all of the double O's are doing a training exercise, and we get the first ever James Bond pre-title scene paintball game. Um, I don't know if this is something they do on their Saturdays, but... Uh, they get to parachute uh, right into Gibraltar. It's a, a which tournament. Is, like, <laughs> yeah. James, you're on top. Alec, <laughs> you're a few paintballs behind. <laughs> but I really like the location, Gibraltar. I think that's something that really helps this pre-title scene, which, let's be honest, the sequence itself is much smaller in scale than what we've seen up until this point. And I don't know if... I think, again, they're trying to go back to the basics and... Doing this in the middle of the 80s, um, this is a movie that sort of, I think, came out just at the right time. As we said, it's right before Lethal Weapon. It's right before Die Hard, and everything sort of changed after that. So this was maybe the last time where Bond was like the only thing on the market that was big and special. So skydiving you know, into Gibraltar and having this training exercise and hanging on the back of the truck. <laughs> There's a Bond uh, pun there when, yes, I am big and special. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you said big and special in the James Bond podcast. We couldn't let that one go. I think I'm big and special. <laughs> Just the other the thing right we side. get is we get uh, uh, John Glenn's famous animal scare. We get a monkey scare this time because the parrot and the pigeon were busy that day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> and basically what happens in the sequence is there's um, somebody is disrupting this training exercise and really trying to kill people. It's it's all a setup for the plot. And James Bond's the only one who finds this out and he chases him down, hangs onto the back of a truck, pushes one of the guards over who shoots him with a real paintball. And I love that guy. He's like, hold on, you're dead. He gets all upset. Bond, and Bond just pushes him <laughs> to the ground. He could have just been James like, up, mate, you're dead. Yeah, he could have just been like, Help me, that guy over there, you need to shoot him. But instead, he's just like, shut up, and just pushes him to the ground. That brings me back to my childhood playing guns with my friends and fake guns. And, hey, you're dead, I shot you. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I did, I shot you. Yeah, uh, that brings me back. There's a lot of crybaby sidekicks in this movie. I'll get into more of that later. <laughs> but Bond eventually chases down this real assassin, uh, and he falls off a cliff, and... <laughs> basically uh crash lands into a lady's boat uh, she's wondering if only she could find a real man and of course timothy dalton drops right in um the only other thing i noticed in here was that james bond when he crashes into i guess the restaurant area and there's all of these umbrellas these canopies for i guess the tables and they all had the letters jb on it which i've never noticed before but a uh, little uh, it's, it's not quite as bad as 007 uh on the camera but um, or 007 on the playing cards, a little bit more subtle. Overall, I like this pre-title scene. Uh, I don't necessarily like it now that we're following the 
Roger Moore movies, which really sold the pre-title scenes more than anything else. But I think that's, again, just the, the victim of coming off of such big ones. If you compare this to the ones that will follow, License to Kill, I'd argue even GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies. I mean, it, it's a decent all-around uh, pre-title scene. And it does a good job of setting up the plot without you really realizing they're setting up the plot this early in the movie. Well, here's the first disagreement, because I love this pre-title sequence. Well, not the first disagreement, but I love this pre-title sequence. I think it's great. I always have. Um, yeah, I, I always love the M is there. Like, I know it's a training exercise, but would like surely M is busy that like does he really have to be here on the plane in Gibraltar just to tell them you need to skydive down there like it seems like M has some other stuff he needs to attend to surely like doesn't seem like the most important uh most productive use of the MI6 leader um but I do think Robert Brown works better with Dalton than he does with Moore though maybe because Moore was all probably older than Robert Brown <laughs> uh, yeah anyway which I don't actually know the ages but he may have actually been older than him um uh yeah the pretos I love the whole thing where like they skydive down onto this island it's a great location and the paintball thing but these other double O agents, how did they get their job? One of them just gets <laughs> shot straight away. Like, was he, this was this his first mission or something? How did he get a job as a double O agent, one of the highest class British uh, Secret Service agents? Um, but just the truck uh, drive is just so cool. I love it when he's on top of the truck down this mountain, uh, the location, and then out. Uh, the car over the cliff, and I love him skydiving onto the boat uh, where he jumps over like the thing. And he, the introduction of Dalton's Bond is just one of the best introductions, probably the best since um, Connery. I think it's probably better than Moore and Lazenby's introduction. I really enjoy it, and I love the end to it where he uh, make that an hour and a half or make that two hours or whatever he says, like a callback to the Connery films. So. Yeah, I love this pre-title sequence. I, it is a bit, like, gimmicky and absurd with all the paintball stuff, but I think it's got a bit of atmosphere to it, and I love um, how you said, Colin, it introduces the plot without noticing it. Like, you could watch this in isolation, and it would just be a random mission, but then later on you find out how it connects to it, which is really clever and probably the best idea of connecting the pre-title to the main film that they've ever done. Um, so while it's not the biggest, I think it is personally one of the best, at least top 10, if anything. Robert Brown was six years older than Roger yeah, Moore. exactly. That's so, why it works better with Dalton. <laughs> just um, for those at home who are wondering. Yeah, no, I agree with Noah. This is a fun opening sequence. Um, I think the thing that you guys are going to give me a lot of shit for is the fact that a lot of the times I will say certain things in Licence to Kill better because I know both of you, I'm pretty sure both of you, purely despise that film i don't know um I, I don't know if i like the license kill opening a little bit better than this but um it's still very fun one thing that really stands out for me about dalton too is he does a lot of his stunts himself um so a lot of these scenes with him on that truck that was him doing it he didn't have a stunt double that was 
Timothy Dalton doing it. So, um, I think that sort of puts him a little bit up there in terms of kind of his dedication to the role or maybe just his dedication to dying at some point. But, um, and I agree kind of, Noah, when you said one of the best intro, I just love the way sort of he lands and he's on the phone and it, it sells Timothy Dalton as Bond. Like, you know, you know you're getting a bit of a different Bond. Like, you don't have sophisticated Sean Connery at a casino table. You know, you don't have Roger Moore. I can't even remember what Roger Moore's first Bond was in, the Live and Let Die club zipper, wasn't it zipper uh thing on the woman in the club magnetic zipper yeah no i meant like was that his first bond james bond that was was that in the oh, well, his Dyke first club? bond james bond is actually quite good that's in the voodoo shop when he first meets solitaire mm. oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's what i meant in terms of that um and then obviously um you know lazy me but yeah oh, no, it's bond. It... james bond <laughs> g'day folks bondy how are you copper um but <laughs> I just got it. Just it's just the way it's sold. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's fun. Like the truck going off it with the explosives, and then yes, the woman. If only I could find the real man. And then you know, here comes James Bond flying down. But um, yeah, I don't really have much to add on what's already been said. But uh, yeah, no, I I enjoy it. It's it's fun. And um, yes, hello Dalton. Yeah. Um. After this, we jump right into the pre-title scene and the song and. Oh, wow. Uh, we talked a lot about all-time high. Um, I don't think that this is a better song than all-time high. Uh-huh. We're most famous for Take On Me, uh, which is a really good song. Would have made a good Bond theme, I think. Now have the living daylights, where during the verses, it is painfully clear that they did not speak English and were singing English because you can't understand a word they're saying. <laughs> This song just, I would, I don't want to say that uh, All Time High is a better song, but I think that All Time High seems to belong in a Bond movie more than this. This was a blatant attempt to just remake the A View to a Kill theme, but just take all of the fun out of it, all of the energy, uh, all of the English. (laughs) We're sort of left with The Living Daylights, a song that I guarantee if anybody listened to this and did not hear the lyrics, The Living Daylights in it, even if they're diehard Bond fans, they're going to struggle to recognize this as a Bond theme. Uh, on the flip side of that, we have the pre-title sequence, which is so big, so 80s, it's full of big hats, nail polish, Miami Vice si- sunglasses, lots of bubble baths and jacuzzis, and a woman rising <laughs> out of a champagne glass. It's everything you expect out of an absurd James Bond opening sequence. And even though it is so 80s, we've talked a lot about these 80s ones just being like, painfully stuck in the 80s this one is probably the most associated with the 80s as far as what you're seeing on screen but somehow i don't feel it looks as dated as the others so i want to give it bonus points for that uh well i another disagreement (laughs) Uh, i don't think it's worse than all-time high Um, i didn't say worse i said it didn't belong as a bomb theme uh, yeah that's a good point i this is a bad song. If we're being real, this is a bad song, in my opinion, anyway. Um, but I don't know. I think it kind of works. It's got that 80s... This film looks very 80s, and I don't even mean that in a bad way. It's just an observation. And I love 80s movies. It's perhaps maybe my favourite decade for film. Um, but it's just got that 80s vibe to it. And then I think this kind of fits with it. This is not as good as A View to a Kill, but I still think it kind of has that espionage feel to it in the song because it's kind of a bit ominous and kind of a bit 
shit, but it's kind of got that uh, low vibe to it. Um, so That's what you associate to... with espionage? <laughs> I don't know. The whole... <laughs> kind dun, of dun. shit. Uh, me doing songs never worked on this show, but, you know, that kind of intro music to it is kind of like a bit espionage. You could picture spies running through the dark street. I don't know. <laughs> um, Good to say you know a lot about spies. They're, they're shit and they <laughs> run through dark streets. <laughs> but uh, like we always talk about how nonsensical the um, uh, the lyrics are, to, and I think this takes the cake for all like nonsense Bond lyrics. Like just the first verse is "Hey driver, where are we going? I swear my nerves are showing. Set your sights." Set your hopes up way too high. The living's in the way we die. Like, it's just really... And then when he cuts into the next bit, like, the comes the morning, and he just sings really weirdly. It's just... Like so Sam overall, Smith or something. Yeah. <laughs> I hated it first. Like, the lyrics are just nonsense. The living daylights, but... I don't know. I still think it works. I, I'm not putting it in the top 10 Bond themes, but I think I'm defending it slightly more than you are, Cole. I'm not saying it's brilliant, but in some ways I think it works. And the actual title sequence, yeah, girls falling asleep in the bath. Um, but I, I agree, even though it's very 80s, I still think it works. Uh, it still looks better than a lot of the other ones, like For Your Eyes Only and All Time, oh, Octopussy and stuff like that. So, largely unmemorable, but I still think it pretty much works for this film, um, and it looks quite nice. Oh, I'm so glad I'm last. This is like, wow, we're going to have some fun in these next two films, I feel. Um, yeah, the only, yeah, lyrically, this song is shit. Like, the lyrics are just woeful. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you brought them up, Noah, because they make no sense. But other than that, this song is gold. Like, sorry, I'm, what? yes, you can, yeah, you like Die Another Day, blah, 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 blah. This song is quintessential 80s gold it is fantastic <laughs> and it's not as good as a view to a kill nothing can touch that piece of music awesomeness but like, the thing that is great about this and i think i think musically it is better than a view to a kill just the way it starts and it, it feel and i don't say how you can say it can fit in with the bond i think this fits perfectly with bond music it's got the the instrumental of this is fantastic and you can really picture this as a Bond song, just the way they tie that sort of 80s-style music in with the theme of, like, a James Bond movie. And it works fantastically. The lyrics are terrible. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, they did Take On Me, and probably the highest-pitched singing we've had in a song until Bloody Sam Smith. But, I mean, these guys are Norwegian, so they're allowed to, like, sing like this, whereas Sam Smith <laughs> is just a dad. <laughs> You're racist Loser-ish. to everyone who's not Norwegian. Well, like... People in Norway are happy, so they've got to, like, sing high and everything. Um, and I don't know, this just <laughs> makes no sense, did it? But, like, overall, the soundtrack to this film is, is fantastic. I agree I mean, we, we noticed the Pretenders, obviously, were involved in a couple um, of songs as well, which we'll no doubt get to when it gets to the credits, but they use kind of, like, instrumental versions of their songs in the movie and, you know, even tying this in there. And, Noah, when we went and saw that Mary lady, um, they performed the... Symphony Orchestra performed a uh, instrumental, instrumental version of this song, and it sounded fantastic. And it really throws me into this era of Bond. And I think that music 
always sells a certain era of Bond more so than maybe the films themselves. And I hear this music, I'm in the 80s. I love the 80s as a culture, as a decade, as everything. And maybe that's why I love these 80s movies so much. But, yeah, I would push this up towards the top 10. Call me crazy, but I fucking love this song. Um, The title credits... I've got nothing to add, really, except is this the first time we ever see a band's logo used? Because I don't know if you noticed that. I think so, yeah. Actually, yeah, we actually see a logo. And maybe the only time we've seen a, like, I don't think we had Garbage's logo. There was no logo, Sheena or... Easton appearing in the thing. Where were Aha? <laughs> Wait till we see the Sam Smith logo, perhaps, coming up. But, um, yeah, um, it, the, the bit that at least ties in with the lyrics is we see headlights and then they fade off <laughs> and they say that they fade away. So... <laughs> Well, they kept it in there slightly, but bring back the uh, 007 in cleavage. I'm listening right now in my other earphone to the instrumental. There is an instrumental version on YouTube, and I'm playing it along with the actual title sequence. And I think it works really well, the music. So would this be better if it was an instrumental similar to Honor Majesty's Secret Service? Oh, or absolutely. Or does it need the singing? No, I, yeah. I think that's part of the problem is... The singing just doesn't work, and it's so obvious they don't even know what they're singing. And just the whole, oh, the living day, like, like that is the most boring <laughs> chorus I've ever heard. I, was, I just want, to, I would love to have an instrumental version, or let's even talk about it really quickly. There's the other Pretender songs, and I don't think the one that plays at the end really works, Oof, but no. the, one, the one that seems to be on uh, uh, endless repeat on Necros's, uh uh, iPod, <laughs> the, the more upbeat one, I think that works as a great opening theme, and I would have liked that a lot better than Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think this... It's odd job. This film... <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. That's where they got their name from. They were big Bond fans. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I highly recommend also listening to this Living Daylight Instrumental. It's on YouTube. Just type it in. Um but, yeah, I think this film does have a really strong soundtrack that, that you could have picked one of those other songs and it would have fitted into the intro. Um, yesterday I was just doing a bit of Googling and I, I found out AHA, surprisingly, uh, is still playing up till October 2015. Why is that surprisingly? They're like Norway's biggest export ever. I looked at uh, setlist.fm. It's a good website if you're a music fan. And... Pretty much all of this year, from what I gathered, is they've played this song in their set. So it's not like Living Daylights has been a forgotten song for AHA. It's still up there in their encore, along with Take On Me. Well, and as for the other songs, I have no idea what they were. Yeah, let's let's be honest here. Our, if these concerts are outside of Norway, they only have two where they speak English. So guaranteed it's going to be played regardless. <laughs> I don't think it's... Yeah. Well, they just played those two over ball. and over and over. Well, we should just quickly mention, I mean, I think a lot of the reason why AHA was picked because they wanted a so-called trendy band after the success of Duran Duran. And the Pretenders were favourites. The Pet Shop Boys were up there as well. Um, I mean, there's a few different people that would have been chosen for this. But, I mean, at the time, AHA were quite a big band. I mean, you know, they've got 80 million albums, you know, they've won Grammys, like, we can laugh all we want, but they're going to sell more records than Fatty S, so let's be honest, you know, but, like, it's, it's, you know, at the time, I think that worked, and, I mean, there are two different versions of this song, too, I don't know if you guys have heard the other version, because apparently, um... Oh, yes, I have, a long time ago. 
yeah, didn't doesn't necessarily they didn't really work well to eat with each other apparently probably the language barrier there, Colin. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think the broccoli's really spoke Norwegian. Oh yeah, I'd like to record a Bond song, record it like this. Nah. There's a, there's <laughs> anyway, an interview with them saying, so what are you going to call the song? And they say, uh, the Living Daylights. <laughs> the living daylight <laughs> well we'll set our hopes up way too high then uh-huh <laughs> living's in the way we don't well which actually makes no sense at all but anyway <laughs> the living is in the way we die okay <laughs> this is the good thing about going first on this show is that uh, I can change the topic just like that. But also, before I do that, I could say Ben is wrong. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> Not the first time he'll say this in the next two Dalton films. <laughs> so after this, we jump into what was Ian Fleming's original story. This is uh, until we get to Casino Royale. This is the last time that Ian Fleming material is used in a Bond movie, and. They actually stick very close to it for this uh, whole next section of the movie mm-hmm. dealing with Koskov's uh, defection, or is it? Um, but we have the symphony scene where Bond walks in. He meets his uh, new sidekick, which is Saunders, who is just one step above Campbell in Honor Majesty's Secret Service for personality. Uh, <laughs> he calls him old man for some reason. This is I thought, like... If you're watching this and remembering from Russia with Love, you're probably thinking that That's... Saunders is going to be a traitor later. It's like, Sorry, old man. Um, <laughs> Bond's checking out the ladies as usual, and he spots Kara, who's going to come up later in the movie. And uh, the whole idea is that um, they're trying to get uh, Koskoff out, and they go up to a little motel room, and you see that if Bond sleeps with a gun under his pillow, Saunders sleeps with a machine gun under his covers. Uh, and Bond uses that rifle. He spots that Kara, who's going to become the main Bond girl, is about to shoot him, and Bond shoots her gun instead, I guess, instead of, and Saunders throws a hissy fit, <laughs> which is another moment where just everybody's just really being a big baby about everything. It's, it, it's essentially, you missed deliberately. I'm going to tell him on you. Battle <laughs> 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 tale. I just don't like this guy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, following that, um, you know, they, they lock Koskoff in the boot, uh, Mary Goodnight's old position, and uh, to sneak him out, a woman with very large breasts uh, allows an old man to motorboat all over her chest. <laughs> Koskoff makes his way into an oil pipeline and uh, they shoot him all the way across the border and of course on the way out Bond gives his famous one-liner we must have scared the living daylights out of her uh, which we discussed a little well bit before the show and uh, I know this is I'm not the only yeah I'm not the only one who doesn't like that line so I won't be disagreed with on that line at least but that's our opening sequence and this stuff I really do love the whole defection of Koskov. In fact, I love it enough that I wish that this had been dragged out for more in the movie and they had made the majority of the movie about this instead of dispensing with it so quickly later on. Um, just the fact they have this huge process for getting him out and you kind of uh, forget sometimes, you know, when you're watching these Bond movies that this is now, what, 25 years into the Bond movies and it's 25 years in this Cold War and a lot of this did go on. There was defection and this is 
the first time we're really getting treated to a defection storyline, which is what Ian Fleming originally wrote. And uh, just the idea that, that you, you have Kara there and there's a bit of mystery around her. And Koskov has so I love Koskov in this movie. He is my favorite character in the whole movie. So much personality, so quirky. And uh, the defection, there's just so many different layers to it, and it just gets bigger each time. And uh, I wouldn't have minded if this ran on and even another five or ten minutes in the movie. I loved it. Yeah, I'm in agreement here as well. Um, I love this portion of the film. Some of the best bits of the movie are here. And normally I like it where it starts off, the title sequence is done, living's in the way we die, and then it opens up and Bond's in the MI6 office getting his mission. But here it just it works so well. We just had this really exciting action-packed uh, pre-title sequence. Then we cut straight to here, nighttime. Uh, this is the spies running around at night that I alluded to earlier. Um, and it's just a really exciting, good, I don't know, 15 minutes or however long it goes for. Um, the locations in this film is really one of the highlights from where we just went in Gibraltar to all of this, uh, what is this, Berlin, I guess, and Vienna. Bratislava. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then they go to Vienna <laughs> later, and then uh, the Afghanistan scenes. Um, just all of the locations are really good. Um, yeah, Colin kind of alluded to the uh, the book or the short story, this is the last uh, title until Casino Royale, and a big part of this uh, story is, well, Bond has to shoot uh, the opposition sniper, and his one weakness is it's a woman, um, and I think that works really well, and... What's what's his uh, excuse he gives later on um, to, I think it's M, is it? She didn't know one end of the rifle from the other or something? Yeah. I still read that as Bond doesn't want to shoot a woman. Um, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be read like that, but I've always thought that that was just his excuse to M and that that is his one weakness is he can't just shoot a woman in cold blood. Um, although a lot of the times he's never hesitant to use a woman as a human shield, so who knows, but... <laughs> This is the and 80s. In about it's 12 years' time. time, or he'll be doing that in a few movies' time anyway. But anyway. Yeah, but I always read it as he doesn't want to shoot her because she's a woman and she's hot. Um, but who knows? Uh, I'm with you, Colin. I'm in the, the Saunders Sucks Club. I'm really not a fan of Saunders. <laughs> I think he's just a whingy British, like, idiot. Um, like, yeah, not a fan of Saunders at all. Um, yeah. Miklos, I'm a huge Rosika Miklos fan, a.k.a. the big-boobed woman. Um, I think she's a great <laughs> little character. She's only in it for a short period, but she's just so a much little. fun. Um, yeah, with her, uh, her death by boobs kind of thing that she has going on there. Um, <laughs> and then the pipeline stuff. It's really goofy, but I think it's fun. Um, and then that line, we've brought it up so many times, is... I must have scared the living daylights out. Such a forceful entry into the film title. Um, although probably not as bad as A View to a Kill. To a Kill. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned Mary Goodnight in the boot. Why didn't they just get Scaramanga's car to get Koskov out of the city and just fly off? <laughs> that would have worked. Um, but just to round this out, I think... This is probably the first spy James Bond film we've had since From Russia With Love. 
like, yeah, he is a spy in all the other films, but he's, like, facing off against, like, like Scaramanga and, uh, like, um, Stromberg and stuff like this. This is kind of the first real espionage spy film we've had since From Russia With Love, and I think it works really well, and this is kind of towards the end of the Cold War, and it works quite well that we're in the 80s, but it still has that kind of underground spy feel to it, which is a big plus for this film, I think. It's part of what I like about Dalton is that I I believe he's a spy. And that's not to say I didn't believe Sean Connery or Roger Moore or George Lazenby were a spy, but you kind of get thrown into this world straight away with him and you just you just feel like he's there and this is what he does. Like, I mean, we talked a lot about From Russia With Love and that it, what was made it so great is that you feel there's so much stuff happening outside of what we're seeing. And I feel like straight away by being thrown into this situation, you feel that straight away. I mean, there's obviously a whole lot of Kozkov backstory as to why he's defecting, or is he? And, you know, the whole lead up to this and everything and the Saunders... Bond relationship. Who gives a fuck about that? Because Saunders is a wanker. But um, yeah, it's it's just this is. <laughs> I'm with that club. Can I join that club? <laughs> but yeah, I just I just this is what I really particularly like about Dalton, and I think it's just believable. And this scene really not a whole lot to add in kind of what you guys have said. I got very defensive there of Bratislava. Um, I had a good friend in uni who was from Bratislava. Of course, by now it's called Slovakia, not Czechoslovakia, but that's geography lessons for you. Um, so I was glad to see it in a movie that wasn't uh, Eurotrip. If anyone's seen Eurotrip and see how they treat Bratislava in that, then this looks slightly different to what Bratislava looks like in Eurotrip. Um, and yeah, it's 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 fun, the the pipeline stuff. Um, I love it, um, Kozkov, when he's all like, pigs, borscht, cake, what's going on? Like, he's like, just like, what the hell's happening? And yeah, I'm I'm with you. I thought you guys might have not liked Kozkov, but he's just he's unique, and he's just got so much. I think you said personality, Colin. Like he does. He's just you know he's also huggy. He just wants to hug Bond, and then later in the film, he's like <laughs> just he's just all over the shop, and that just to me makes a fun villain. Um, yeah, Saunders. I've literally literally written here. Saunders is a prick. Um, I mean, he's all, like, going on about, like, oh, I've, I've set this mission up and, oh, you're not taking my glory. Like, shut the fuck up, mate. Just, like, calm down. You're on the same side. You're all trying to get the same thing. Like, stop being a bitch. That's all One I One of the worst allies ever. Yeah, he's he's terrible. Um, the the woman, I, I'm not going to say what I wrote down for her because I honestly thought it was a man at first, but <sighs> then I realised it was a woman. Um, and, yeah. What? I Wait, well, hold, hold the- on. Let's, let's not just breeze past that. How many men have you seen with breasts like that? Myself. Um, but no, like, I, when, you, when you first get introduced to it, um, I thought it was a man. And they're like, oh, wait, no. Um, and I love the, like, the reaction. Like, what type of woman do you think I am? Yeah. <laughs> You've grabbed this guy and given him, like, motorboating to take Colin's line. But... Um, but yeah, no, I, I won't defend the mustard scare the living. Like, come on. Like, I love Dalton, but one thing Dalton can't do is deliver a one-liner. And Roger Moore could. Connery could. Lazenby did it like one out of five. He must have scared the um, living daylights out of her. <laughs> and it's just the way Dalton delivers it with that smirk on his face. It's kind of like... Yeah. 
this part will be in the credits <laughs> and the trailer. <laughs> like, you may as well just said that. Um, but yeah, that's the one gripe I think I really have about Dalton. His one-liners, no, he can't do them. Well, I'm glad we're all on board for at least one sequence. Um, <laughs> let's see how it goes with the next few. Uh, we have... Wow, this is one part where I just... I'll just come right out and say this next scene I think should have been pushed later in the movie because we have a very brief introduction to Q-Lab and a very brief introduction to, as Noah's been referring to her, the Barry Manilow money penny. Um, and we have the Ghetto Blaster, which <laughs> for anybody who's seen Jonathan Ross's great uh, Spectre uh, coming soon uh, special, when he lists his favorite Bond moments of all time, which includes all the greatest moments and the Ghetto Blaster... <laughs> From the living daylights. Somebody please explain that to me. I just don't I like the, the Q-Lab scene and this introduction of Man- Money Penny just being so brief in the movie when they're about to get a longer scene later on. So that's my complaint about that scene right off the bat. But following that, we have Bond showing up you know, at this house or castle or what. I'm not even sure what this house is supposed to be. Uh, where Koskoff is now de- successfully defected and he's being held. And uh, isn't that nice? Bond brought him a picnic basket. Uh, <laughs> looked a little bit awkward. And Koskoff is very happy to see Bond as he um, full-on sticks his tongue down Bond's throat, I think, in this section of the movie. <laughs> this is like VJ giving him a massage. I almost wanted to put this on the kiss-kiss count because Koskoff's really going for it here. Um <laughs> uh, we have uh, basic explanations as to what's going on in the story. Um, that uh, this old program, Smirt uh, uh, Smirnev, or which is Smirch. Death to Spies, Smirsh. For any fans of the book, this was the original organization that lasted for almost the entire. Like Spectre came in at the end of Ian Fleming's series, and Smirsh, this Death to Spies, this spy assassination uh, KGB program really was what Bond was about the entire time. And this is tied to the pre-title scene where y- you see that the rope that was cut from uh, the other double O had this written on it, this death to spies. So the plot's being set up here that uh, this program's probably been reactivated. You find out that Gogol has retired and that Pushkin, this new uh, replacement, there's uh, Bond has some type of relationship with him, I guess. Um, I like that the parrot's back in this scene. Uh, the same parrot from. <laughs> I wanted, I, I wanted him to be saying um, the uh, what was the um, uh, give Saint us Cyril? a kiss, give us oh, a kiss, goodness. and then have Koskov stick his tongue down the parrot's throat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, then, I love you, parrot. <laughs> my favorite part of this scene, and again next to Koskov, my favorite character in the movie, Necros is introduced, oh. who's a classic. I hope that wasn't a groan. Um, that was a classic... definitely a groan. <laughs> no, this is a classic henchman. He's got a huge physical presence. He's got a distinctive look. He's killing people with milk bombs. I mean, he was in a speedo. <laughs> he, well, he was in a speedo for one scene, and that's later in the movie. Oh, but you, like here, you, next you get like, speedos. We have. This fun introduction, he kills the milkman. He, he's listening to the same song on his Walkman over and over again. He's got these milk bombs, and he just completely destroys this this entire embassy or whatever it is. 
has a great fight scene with some nobody uh, in the kitchen, which I love the kitchen scene. Anytime they could really use the environment. We've been talking about this since you know the early days of uh, Sean Connery. When the environment has worked into the fight scene, those are the best. And Koskoff is basically taken back. I love this scene, and I think Necros is amazing. I'm I'm really want to hear why you don't like him, other than the speedo. <laughs> you really don't like Tony Abbott or something like that. Like, what's with the speedo hate? Does anyone like Tony Abbott? Um, no. Yeah, I agree. This scene is awesome. Like, we're coming just off the uh, the big defecting scene, and then we've got this scene. Although I do feel like it's a bit rushed and a bit soon. Like, oh, he just defected. Oh, they've got him back. Like, um, but that's a very minor complaint. Um, I do like that they added Smirsh as some of the main villains. Good touch to the book. And they obviously couldn't use Spectre, Spectre, Spectre. We may have to start Smirsh, Smirsh, Smirsh. Um, <laughs> doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Uh, yeah, but, like, they might as well get, like, spray cans or something. Like, why does Smirsh have to tag everywhere they go? Like, where's Smirsh? And here, put a tag on him and, like, put a balloon on him. Like, surely that's not a good thing because then they know who did it. Is that what they want? They want Bond to catch them? Um well, actually, maybe we'll touch on that uh, shortly. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, the milk bombs are great and the kitchen fight's awesome and then Kozkov is taken. Um, and I like the touch that they said Pushkin is Gogol's replacement, that they added that little detail into there. Um, as for the Q scene, you're right, it's a bit rushed. Uh, the new money penny, the Barry Manilow money penny... I said it in, I think, the View to a Kill episode that outside of um, Lois Maxwell, I just don't think there is any other money penny in my eyes. Like, I don't think her, uh, Carolyn Bliss, I think her name is, um, and Samantha Bond. And Naomi Harris has potential, um, but I just don't think there are any other money pennies, so I've got almost nothing to add on her. Um, yeah, it may not be a top moment, but I love the ghetto blaster thing. I love the way uh, that Desmond Llewellyn delivers that line. It's a ghetto blaster. Um, and it's so <laughs> 80s. But that joke, I always think, could be played two ways, though, because he could almost say, yes, we're calling it a boombox. Like, I've always thought that that's one joke that could have multiple uh, punchlines to it uh, and still work, like, I almost misremembered it as it's a boombox sometimes. Um, necros. <laughs> I, I've written in my notes, Red Grant 5.0. Um, that's all I've pretty much got to add. It's just the the strong, tall, blonde guy with an accent who's a boring uh, Hans or a um, hey. Krieger or whatever they are. Like They just... Whenever they can't think of a henchman, they just get a Red Grant lookalike to do the role. I'm not a fan of Necros at all. But it is funny that he has, like, his Walkman-type thing and he pretends to be a milkman. Don't put Hans and Necros in the same <laughs> sentence, you fool. Like, get out of town. I'm with Colin on Necros. The only bad thing about Necros is he sound, sounds like you're calling him a Necro. Like, I mean, what does he do to the bodies after he's killed them? I don't want to know. And I think the perfect... henchman gimmick. The, 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 his henchman gimmick is to throw the milk and go, got milk, as it blows up. Like, bang, there you go. A henchman one-liner. It's, like, completely missing out on something there. Um, the, I, yeah, 
QLab, Ghetto Blaster, classic. It's hilarious. It keeps up with the times. There goes Ben using that phrase again. Um, but yeah, and I'm with you, Noah. The way that Q Desmond Llewellyn says it, something we're making for the Americans, a Ghetto Blaster. Like, it's just, you know, old man talking about new young things. It's hilarious. Um, and it's so good. And I was reading a, a very interesting trivia thing about this that apparently the the explosion off-screen was actually set off by Prince Charles, mm-hmm. who was apparently on set at the time. They gave him, like, a personalised tour of James Bond, and they wanted him to get involved somehow. So that, yeah, the explosion is caused by Prince Charles pressing a button, and apparently there's a really famous uh, picture that goes around of um, Princess Diana hitting Charles over the head with a breakaway bottle. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it before, but, um, yeah, apparently that was there. Um, and also, another thing, too, with Charles and Diana, they wanted to include a scene at the end of the film similar to a Margaret Thatcher Ugh. moment where they called up Diana and Charles. <laughs> but um, I think we dodged a bullet with that yeah. one. Oh, <laughs> God. Money, Penny, Carolyn Bliss... No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One step ahead of Pamela Salem or whatever the hell. At least there's, like, they've attempted to bring some chemistry in with Carolyn and Dalton. Did they? Attempted. Attempted. Let me say that word again. She's just the sexy librarian, isn't she? Well, yeah, she's the geeky sort of money penny. But, like, yeah, Pamela Salem in Never Say Never Again, there wasn't even an attempt. Like, she could have just been woman in building. And, like, it wouldn't you wouldn't have even known it's money penny. Um, her glasses are way too big and, eh, yeah, no, not a fan. Um, no, Carolyn, sorry. You're probably a nice girl, but not in Bond. Um, and the whole scene then with the castle... Um, I love the line when um, the guy's running past him and he's like, bloody yanks. Um, when he's like running through the village or whatever it was. Um, and yeah, this whole secret. My big, where is Bond? Like, where does he go? Like, do we see him leave? <laughs> Why isn't he yeah, in he this fight? <laughs> like, he's, 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 what's the guy from um, Man with the Golden Gun? The, 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 yeah. you know, the... Yeah, hip. Like, he's just hip in that scene. He just leaves. He's gone like, to get his... The whole time... Yeah, well, the whole time I'm watching this going, okay, so Bond is going to show up at any moment now and try and stop Necros' <laughs> milk-killing massacre. No. Bond's gone to Harrods and, like, I don't know where he is. That's my only question about this whole scene. But, yeah, it's fun. Um, Kozgov getting a bit touchy-feely with people. Um, but, yeah, he's maybe that's why they took him back. The Russians have no love in the KGB. We need Kozgov back for human interaction. I want to give uh, one of my few slight complaints about Dalton at this point here, because this scene was... Few. Dalton has this... In the previous sequence, the symphony stuff and the um, the gun uh, and Koskoff's defection, he was almost a little bit um, too theatrical for me at that point, but it worked when he was being a spy and everything. And in this scene here, where he's kind of just like, you know, a little bit friendly and smiling and he still has this delivery as we described off air as very theatrical and Shakespearean. And this is where I don't get where people will say Timothy Dalton is like the closest to Ian Fleming's bond because in the way the character's written, maybe in the way that Timothy Dalton delivers it, not at all because I honestly expect him to be like to be or not to be like at any given moment, he doesn't even change his approach to how he delivers lines. And that's one of the reasons why, when he has these one-liners, I don't think it pulls off that well. 
Um, and then again, as you said, the fact that he disappears, that's the main thing I want to talk about because there's this perception that the living daylights was like back to the, the, the as I said, the words that are most often used bond is with a, with a hard edge and bond being dangerous and bond does nothing. I would argue we're probably going to get to this movie and find out that bond kills fewer people in this than any other movie in history. And for most of the action scenes, he's not even there. I mean, here we have this massive action scene, and it would have been a great opportunity to show Bond in there in this kitchen fight and then just have, you know, uh, Necros get away or something. But Bond's just gone, and that kind of bugs me in this sequence. We didn't have him in there. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's just it's completely bizarre because Bond was there. Like, yeah, if he wasn't there to begin with, but Bond was there, and then he pissed off somewhere. Like, um <laughs> Got to, yeah, it's just really bizarre. I, I completely agree, though. He should have been there, have him fight Necros, and then later again, ah, oh, we meet again, Mr. Bond. The, yeah, I don't really have much to add on that. I just think kind of on, Colin, what you're saying about Dalton with the theatrical background, I don't know. I think it... I, I don't necessarily see it that way. I don't think he maybe over-dramatizes things a little bit. And I think <laughs> there's real comparisons, as I said. I think... Daniel Craig coming about has really helped Dalton as Bond. And I think the differences between Dalton and Craig in terms of how they are, like, Craig can come across, I think, as very wooden in how he says things and does things. And I think a lot of the time he gets passed over with that because Craig's pretty to look at. He's, you know, you just want to rip his clothes off and do him. Whereas, like... Do you? You know, (laughs) well, come on. Like, Craig's hot. Like, let's be honest. But, like, it's... Like, I don't... I think that kind of that's a real thing what they try and overcompensate with Craig is that they're trying to get a different audience with that. And one thing that we'll get to, I think, in terms of of Dalton's relationships with women in his two films is I think... And you two are probably going to completely disagree with what I say here, but I think Dalton's um, chemistry with his female counterparts in both these films could maybe be the best... Overall, in terms of, of Bond films, I think I think Dalton's relationships with with his the females are just so believable. You can uh, believe that they I, are in relationships and there's feelings there. Whereas I don't know with with say a Craig, it just feels like he just wants to bone oh, them and then leave. I almost agreed with you. I was going to say, oh yeah, I see what you're saying, but then you said the best of the entire series, and I have to say, I will up there, on. like uh, debatable. I, okay, I won't necessarily say the best, but debatable. I, just, I mean, as a collection, like you know, he's only got two films to do a ratio on, so it's not really you know fair. But I mean, I just, I just really feel that that a lot of comparisons we've got to make with Dalton and Craig. I just think that when it comes to our overall Bond rankings podcast, that's something more to discuss. But again, I think. As I'll keep saying a hundred times, I think Craig's helped Dalton's reputation, and that might not necessarily be something that Colin, I don't know about you, Noah, will agree with, but that's just my opinion. I will have to quickly say on Colin's point, um, Ben, you can't really chime in here because you don't know how to read, but um, (laughs) I'm kind of with you. Uh, I'm a Dalton fan, but I don't know about this, oh, it's back to the books kind of business. I think it's more, it's just toned down from Roger Moore, really. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could almost view it as a cross between Sean Connery and Roger Moore, with a a touch of Dalton in there too. It's like taking a bit of the Roger Moore and a bit of the smooth Connery and putting some of his own action in there. Um, but I don't know if it is the Bond, the book Bond. I don't think any of the actors are the book Bond in my eyes. And this is something we can maybe discuss 
in our book episode um, when we eventually do it. But um, I'm busy that day. <laughs> Going to He's school. busy looking at pretty pictures of Daniel Craig. <laughs> I had the James one colouring in book. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, maybe I'm rambling a bit here, but I kind of agree that while I am a fan, I'm not sure if he is the book Bond. He's definitely got elements of the book Bond, but I just feel like there is no the film is the book Bond. I feel like that the book Bond is a seventh Bond, I guess, Um but I, he does have traces of it. I see what people were saying when they bring that up, but I'm kind of agreeing with you that I'm not completely buying it with Dalton. I, I think just the hardest thing for me is if I'm when I read the Bond books or reread them, I can't picture Timothy Dalton delivering the lines that Ian Fleming wrote or the way that he describes them. And it's not to say that Timothy Dalton's a bad Bond. I just I don't buy into this whole thing that he is Bond because I can't picture Timothy Dalton delivering Ian Fleming's lines. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of the lines don't work in this. But if we are going to move on, let's talk about the the second M scene and the second uh, Q scene. Uh, again, like I had a minor complaint earlier. I think they just should, should have grouped these two scenes together. I don't know why they didn't. But uh, M's briefing with Bond, you know, a little bit more on the fact that this uh, death to spies popped up again. And they're blaming Pushkin, which is Gogol's replacement. And Bond doesn't want to believe this, but uh, he's sort of forced into the mission. Um, he pulls it out, and you see that uh, Pushkin is wearing one of those famous Spectre masks. He's disguising himself as Sala from Raiders of the Lost Ark, or a very shaved Gimli from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes, uh, Gimli is in Bond. <laughs> uh, That's what I thought. Yeah, Ben, the big fan of Lord of the Rings here. <laughs> Like Gimli, he was my, my mind. Of all of the hobbits. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was that scene where they were like walking and stuff. Um, the second Q lab scene, again, some cool gas masks. I do love Q. I just, I think these two scenes were back to back. They would have more impact. Uh, the gas thing is my favorite gimmick because he has them put on the gas mask to test this whistle beeper or whatever it is. And he has Bond put on the gas mask, but he only gives it to Bond. And I see a bunch of other people standing around the room, and I can just picture <laughs> he whistles, and the gas goes off, and Bond and Q have gas masks, and you just see Smithers in the background choking and suddenly collapsing. <laughs> <dead>. <laughs> and then Money Penny is on the case. She has a bit of a purpose here, which uh, this is where I don't agree because I don't think they even really attempted anything with Money Penny and flirtation. Uh, she's helping out. They gave her more of a purpose in the story, and when they couldn't find out who this uh, uh, assassin was earlier, um, or the the girl, as they're referring to her, the cello girl at this point, Money Penny's able to figure it out. Why so. didn't they use the identigram? Yeah, like yeah, they have the identigraph here. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you try the identigraph? Uh, mm. She's yes, a woman. Sir. She's got yeah. a nose. Not a banana. Got her. Not a banana. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. After this, it's basically Bond on the trail of Kara here. Uh, we see him riding public transit, which something just seems wrong about that for me. I mean, this is a man who goes around in Aston Martins and uh, Bentleys, and seeing him ride public transit just seems below Bond. That's this is probably the down-to-earth little... Bond. Con. Yeah, that's right. This is the people's Bond. He rides public <laughs> transit. MI6 is having budgetary issues in the 1980s. He's the okay? They're cutting he doesn't back. have any change to get on the train. He has to ask <laughs> random people if they've got any spare. Bond meets the tram inspectors. <laughs> Tickets, please. <laughs> he... 
he passes on his caviar for a McDonald's build a burger or something, right? Yeah. Build a burger. I didn't want a medium tea. Um yeah, so he finds Kara and uh uh meets her in her apartment and uh he basically sneaks her out because there's a guy on her trail. So she goes into the phone booth, which is again kind of a funny gag, although it was predictable where they uh, dress the, the cello case up in the phone booth and they make a getaway. Um, I'm going to stop before we get to the car chase. But again, I just, I really want like an edit of this movie where the living daylight line just comes back over and over again. So when they're driving away and you realize this guy's like, when he finds that cello case, it'll probably scare the living daylight. That's the line one line. Yeah, <laughs> I mean these aren't great scenes, but let's talk about a little bit about Kara here um, and the the chemistry that Ben is so fond of here. Because uh, I'll just kind of give my opinion of Kara since there's not much else to talk about. But I I always hated her. I absolutely hated her because I just found her so boring. And I did something different this time where I watched the making of before I watched the movie. And you, they show her screen test on there, where as usual, when they screen test, they're doing the uh, From Russia With Love, Bond and Tanya scene uh, in bed, the My Mouth Is Too Big scene. And she just seemed so charming in that scene, and she had so much personality. And even in all the behind-the-scenes stuff we see, like she's just really full of life. I, I think more than anything, she was probably just miscast in this movie. And this is where I think switching it from Pierce to Dalton and having to probably get rid of a lot of the, the comedy and the the lightheartedness maybe hurt the character because in these scenes with Dalton, I just see no chemistry and I don't really blame either actor. They both seem to be giving it their all. It's just, I think they're two totally different type of actors. I think that she probably wasn't as comfortable being serious and he wasn't as comfortable being fun. And it just doesn't mix well in this scene. Um, well, firstly, the Q stuff. I love the couch gag. That's really funny. Um, where the guy gets sucked into the couch and, yeah, I watched this film two days ago. I can't even remember Money Penny being in this scene. So, uh, hello, Carolyn Bliss. Um, yeah, you said that they're not very exciting. I like all the scenes here. Just the location, the atmosphere is kind of cool. A Bond tracking down Kara, and we learn that. Um, is it here that we learn that she was um, like she wasn't actually going to shoot him? It was blanks. So I yeah. think it's here that she was so part that- of the fake defection. Yeah, I think that's kind of a nice twist there and that she's involved with it there. So all these scenes are kind of... They're just part of the plot, but I enjoy them all, though. Um, As for Kara, she's probably the best-looking Bond girl we've had in a while. Um, So that's a plus. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that that's the first thing that I look at in a Bond girl. Um, Yeah. she is a bit. Well, it bad. is because it's the only thing you can look at, technically. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess you're right there. Well, you can't really look at the. Bond well, I didn't even know. If, um, I saw that she had breasts, but I still couldn't tell if it was a girl because I was using Ben's uh, human detector <laughs> scale. Um, <laughs> well, Daniel Craig has man breasts. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. She is kind of bland, and she is one of those damsel in distress Bond girls rather than one of those, like, oh, I'm a spy too or something, even though she is technically kind of a spy as well, not quite. Um, but I don't know. I like her character. I, I don't, I'm not going to say it's the best Bond uh, and Bond girl relationship like Ben's saying, but 
I still think they work together decently. I'm not going to say brilliantly, but decently. And she is heavily involved in the film. I didn't know she was British uh, until recently um, because normally they do cast foreign actresses, but they got a British uh, woman doing an accent. Yeah, like she grew up in England, but her she is technically Georgian, which is at least at the time technically Russian. So, yeah, she kind of fits into both there. Yeah, I didn't know she was Georgian. Um, Your accent, Georgian. (laughs) Oh, very good, Mr. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of like her. She's just... Like, we're coming off Stacey Sutton, Octopussy, Mustacha, um, Holly Goodhead. We're coming off those. So if you look at it in this order that we've been watching it, and it's the first time I've watched them in order, I think she isn't up from those few. Uh, she's no uh, Anya or anything like that, or the 60s Bond girls. But I don't know. I'd, I would just say she's decent. She's not the most memorable um, she hasn't got a goofy name or anything like that, but I don't know. She's a part of the plot. She's useless in some ways, but I don't know. There's something about her that I just kind of like. Well, I'm not going to call her uh, Monobrower, which I've written down here. Oh, but um, <laughs> Well, she's got a bit of I a Monobrower. Um, <laughs> don't go off at me, but whatever. Look, I'll get to her don't in a second. Don't go off um, at you for calling her Monobrower. Monobrow? You've already... Uh, okay, so far... Dasha. We've understood that the Bond girls in this movie are men and mono brows from men. <laughs> I thought she and then was I have a fondness for men. I didn't notice. Yeah, and Ben of... likes to look at pretty Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> He's my mobile phone backdrop picture. All right, just I want to shave his chest. <laughs> no, look, it's. <laughs> Can we please start over? Hello, welcome to Double R Seven. We're going to talk about the Living Daylights. <laughs> Remember what we said, Ben, in the pre-production meeting about taking things a little too far? Um, no, just quickly, um, I don't really have too much to add um, on the Q&M stuff. Um, it, yeah, I love the the whistling bit when it was first verse of Rule Britannia. What is it like? Oh, and what then? Whistle God Save the Queen or something like that. Um, and then we get the wolf whistle, which is hilarious later on when he has to use that. Um, the whole sort of, um, trying to find Kara scene, it's fun. And like, this is like, yeah, I was about to say Connery. Dalton's one line is a terrible, but in terms of kind of his humor, like uh, this is where it's a little bit underrated. Like the whole situation when he's like, no, we definitely can't go back for the cello. No, we can't. And the next thing you see him sitting in the car waiting <laughs> yeah. for her to come back for the cello. Like, I told hilarious. you his one weakness is the woman. <laughs> and then, you know, why didn't you learn to play the violin? Like, yeah, Actually, I wrote that down. I think that is one one one-liner that Dalton does do well. I thought that was hilarious. Why didn't you learn the violin? But uh, I mean, there yeah, maybe there are a couple of one-liners I'm forgetting because there's one coming up which I absolutely love. But um, yeah, it's it's fun, and it's this is this is where I'm gonna come in about this relationship because the thing that I particularly like about this film and how it works up, and we'll get to Kara as well, but like. It's this relationship which is kind of like a, you know, Bond is spying. He's playing into this role. He's being Koskov or Yergi. Is that what he calls him? Yergi. Um, Like, he's pretending to be his friend. 
Georgie, whatever it is. Um, you know, and there's, there's a pun in there. <laughs> You're saying we're into orgies now? But, like, he's playing up to this role, and this is where I think the relationship builds, because they're slowly, like, they're just, it's a professional relationship first, he's going to deliver her to, to Kozgov, and then obviously as it gets on a little bit better, like, she's developing more of a closeness and a fondness to him, he's kind of doing the same to her, and this is where I think Dalton works so well with his female counterparts. This is one where I will say Living Daylights does it better than License to Kill because it's just the building of this relationship. And I think... It was development. This is what I really like about it. So later on when we're getting these romantic scenes, I believe that these two people are generally have feelings for each other. And you were going through kind of the list of Bond girls that we've had. I I easily think that that Kara is the best Bond girl in terms of an overall character we've had since Anya. Um, you know, she's not a two-dimensional Holly Goodhead who's just useless as fuck. Like, she has... Yeah, she's a damsel in distress, you can easily say that, but she has a purpose of the plot of this film. She, I think the, the, she plays so well, I can't even pronounce her name, the actress, she's, um, anyone have a crack here for me? Marion Marion Darbo. Is that that hard to pronounce? (laughs) Marion Darbo? Come on, I can't even pronounce basic names. You really want to go for Shame. that one. But, um, Noah Graves? Shame. <laughs> Timothy Dalton. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think, like, the fact that, too, like, as you were saying, like, yeah, she's British, she's, like, playing up to this character, and she's got this, like, innocence about her that she just really wants to go forward with it. And I just think that she's got this real element to her character that we haven't seen in some time and that's why i really appreciate her as a bond girl the relationship that she has with bond and and you know the actors have with each other is great and yeah i can see what you're saying colin in terms of you know she maybe struggles to be a bit serious and he struggles to be a little bit light and that i can see that but i don't know there's just i i really think that maybe this could be and, you know, taking more and, and um, Anya out of that in terms of how that developed. But, I don't know, we talked up a lot about the chemistry between um, Lazenby and Diana Rigg. Like, oh, I, I don't know, there's just something about the way these two work together in this film that I think is fantastic, and I think it's one of the best in terms of the Bond films. Call me stupid, but that's what I think. You're stupid. Uh, I'm going to move <laughs> on. <laughs> do this throughout the whole episode. <laughs> I do really quickly want to say again, I, I like... Uh, the character, I like the way she's integrated in the story. I don't see the chemistry at all. In fact, when they do transition later to the love story, I'm going to have a lot of complaints about how abrupt and how unconvincing it is. And I think the part of that is the writing too, but we'll get to that later. We have uh, another one of the highlights of the movie here, the the double chase, the car chase, and the <laughs> cello toboggan case. <laughs> well, um this is, again, I'm going to start by saying I love these scenes. I think this is the most fun I had the entire movie is watching these sequences. But at the same time, this is the complaint for those Timothy Dalton apologists out there who I'm not going to tell anybody they're wrong for liking Timothy Dalton. But if you're going to say, well, the living daylight was back to basics bond, it was dispensing with the ridiculousness. Uh, let's just run down what happens in this sequence. Lasers come out of Bond's hubcaps and cut the bottom half of a car off of the top. Bond drives a barn across a frozen lake and he toboggans downhill in a cello case. Now, let's be honest. As fun as this is, this happens in Die Another Day and Piers Brosnan is crucified for this. This is done in any Roger Moore movie. Roger Moore's crucified for it. 
Timothy Dalton gets away from it. This is no more or less ridiculous than any of the other most ridiculous gags we've had so far. And I enjoy this. I just don't understand why people think that this movie is free of silliness. I mean, this is one of the most ridiculous chases I've ever seen. He drives a barn across a lake. <laughs> um, but I love the sequence, and I love all the gags, and I kind of wish the movie had a little bit more of this. I don't think you needed to try so hard to go in the opposite direction of the Moors. The Moors were in a good place in the 80s with John Glenn, where they were kind of serious. Um, the car chase is really fun. Uh, the tobogganing thing is a little bit ridiculous, uh, the, especially the last line. It's For me, it's almost as painful as the, the scared the living daylights out of her, the, the attempt to be kind of playful no. here. Toss it up in the air. We have nothing to declare. Oh, come on. It's, no, it's, just, it, it's painful because it, it, no. Dalton is not playful. I just don't get that ending, but I'm on board with the rest of the sequence. It's two very good action sequence that happen back to back here. Yeah, I freaking love how much the cello plays a part in this film. Um, it's just awesome. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do people say that this is a serious chase or not? I don't really know. But people say it's a serious movie free of. Oh yeah, gimmicks. yeah, you're right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is goofy as hell, but this is James Bond. This this entire sequence just sums up. If you wanted to show someone what James Bond is and you'd show a select few scenes, you probably wouldn't show the ghetto blaster, uh, Jonathan Ross. But um, I think this would be a great scene if you wanted to show people what James Bond films were, amongst other scenes. Uh, it's just so much fun with the skis. I love that. And the laser shooting off the car is just so funny and and so just James Bond. This is the James Bond stuff that I love. Like, these films are not supposed to be realistic or serious um, a lot of the time. Like, this is a more serious film, that's for sure. But uh, And I kind of disagree. I do feel like uh, after seven more films and they'd gone so far that they did need to tone it down a bit, and they did. But at the same time, yeah, they don't need to get rid of everything. And this is a case where they didn't. And the vi- violin... Uh, not the violin, the uh, cello oh. in the case. It's just, it's such a memorable scene and it's so good. And it's just, ever since I was a kid, I, I would live for James Bond scenes like this. Um, and this is probably my biggest disagreement with you ever, Colin, but I love <laughs> this uh, throwing it up in the air through the border. We've got nothing to declare. It's, I don't know, he is playful in some bits, and I think it works so well. His delivery is one of his best uh, one-liner deliveries. We've said he's not the greatest at deliveries, um, but I think it's great in chucking it up in the end, except for cello, cello, cello. Um, I, I don't know how you don't like that. It's funny, and it's just, well, and they're going across the border, so it makes sense, um, and it's just goofy, and it's a nice way to end out um, a great car chase scene, um, bringing back the Aston Martin. And, yeah, this film was great. We've just come from the pre-title sequence to that cool uh, nighttime defecting scene to that milk bottle scene to this scene. Like, it's it's a really great uh, scene. I don't know about barn, driving the barn, though. I'm not sure if I'm on board with the barn drive, but... Yeah, the cello ski chase is just awesome and the the bullet hole that goes through it that plays a part later in the film um, and nothing to declare is one of my favourite lines of the film. And before Ben goes, I'll just say, I am putting this up for the Hall of Fame, but we'll get to that later. 
Noah and I are nearly on so much agreement in this film. I feel weird. Um, and also, did Colin did Colin loosely defend Die Another Day before? I kind of feel like he did. Um, yes, sort of. <laughs> he did. And speaking of which, we haven't played this yet. Yes, I had to play it. Um, we got so now. Far. Look. This scene is just great fun. And, like, I can kind of see what, Colin, you're saying in terms of, you, you know, the over-the-topness of it. But I honestly feel, and hear me out here, that <laughs> take the laser element out of it and you could honestly see, I mean, he's using the environment in the chase. He's trying to get away. He's going to drive through a barn. It's not his fault that the whole thing comes with him. Like, that's just, he's just going along with it as it happens. I I, this, I like the barn. I think it's fun. And that's such an iconic scene, him driving out of a barn and it blowing up. You, that's always shown in kind of highlights of the Bond movies altogether. Um, and same with the cello, cha- the cello case. Like, it's just, it's there. Like, he uses it. He's just incorporating the environment with him. Like, yeah, it's goofy. Yeah, it's a bit silly. But, you know, he doesn't have a fucking hovercraft turning up on, you know, going gondola turning through the fucking streets of Venice with double take pigeon like we're not that over the top but I think also I mean it reminded me a little bit of the chase in GoldenEye with the tank like it's kind of it's Uh a serious chase but there's a bit silliness to it like with the statue on top of the tank and you know little things like that like it's a serious chase with silly bits thrown into it um, and the, the bit at the end, crossing the border, Colin Hilding, come <laughs> on, like, this is brilliant, this is, this is a, the epitome of Bond, like, going under a thing, <laughs> lifting it over the top, we've got nothing to declare, like, it's, just, it's <laughs> Bond in a, a sentence, you show that to anybody, how do you describe a James Bond film? He's skiing on a cello case underneath a boom gate, crossing a border of a country, throwing a cello up in the air, catching it, okay. we've got nothing to declare! <laughs> okay. And first of all, who crosses a border and does that and doesn't have these guards shooting them in the face at that moment? It's a James Bond film! (laughs) Second of all... And it's Austria! Austria are helpful! Why is there a border crossing at the bottom of a tobogganing hill? Like, are are there a lot of kids who just get to the bottom of the hill? It's like, oh, I'm going to switch countries now. Okay, I defected. (laughs) There's no purpose for it to be there. It's just, this is the moment where it gets too ridiculous. And I'm with it with the... The driving barn and the lasers even, and even riding in a cello case, but there's no reason for this border to even be there. And then they just toss it in the air. We have nothing to clear. Oh, it's just too, but too it's dumb. Because it's funny and it's a Bond film. And it I wasn't laughing. One of the only, <laughs> one of the only couple of occasions that Dalton has a good one liner. So don't take it away from me. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good one liner. We have nothing to declare. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he's on a famous shirt. Yeah, Timothy yeah, that's Dalton. Right. It's on we t-shirt. have nothing to declare. Famous James Bond one liners. We have nothing to declare. <laughs> that works. He's out of border and they're through, and it's a punny, funny joke. It, it, it's an okay joke, but I mean, even Jonathan Ross isn't putting We Have Nothing to Declare on his <laughs> best James Bond one-liner. Okay, okay, Noah, slight win. We've gone from him going, oh, this is terrible to it's an okay line, so. <laughs> He'll be loving this by the end of the episode. <laughs> He'll be wearing the t-shirt. <laughs> We've got nothing to declare t-shirt. If anybody really wants a 007, yeah, if anybody wants a 007 merchandise section, we will make a We Have Nothing to Declare t-shirt if you're willing to pay for it. <laughs> and it's like, what, we've got a picture of Timothy Dalton's, like, head on top of a cello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and where's the, that t-shirt. the living daylights out of her t-shirt? We need that with his weird smirky grin thing. 
<laughs> it's in the giant head on the t-shirt. Screw the living thing. Can anyone do a Timothy? Who can do the best Welsh accent? Oh, oh I am the only Bond in the village. I can't do Welsh. All right. Oh, like, just, I don't wow. know. No, that wasn't. <laughs> What is it with Ben, whenever he does an accent, he ends up sounding like a poo from The Simpsons. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Ooh, it's good to live Thank you. Come again. <laughs> and that didn't even sound like a poo when you tried to do a poo. <laughs> that sounded like Timmy Dalton. I'll say, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I've got nothing to do. I can't fuck off. Fuck off. Just get on with Come on, Colin, stuff. do your Welsh accent. We've heard Ben. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, because I'll end up getting looped into an intro, or it's like, <laughs> don't the let's just go back. Let's go back to Connery. I've got nothing to. Yeah. Oh, I can't even do Connery now. Ah, my oh. mind's gone. We have nothing to declare. Scott's delivering daylight, Charles. See, Connery like pulls those lines off. And what about Liza? Did you just do the parrot, Ben? What was that? <laughs> We have nothing to declare. Daniel Craig. So do we need to video nothing to declare, like Every time there's a one-liner, we'll do a different Bond. Like, we're scraped to live in daylight. Then more. Yes, we've got nothing to declare. Like, more could deliver, uh, deliver these lines pretty well, I reckon. And what's the ah. presence? Oh, I've got nothing to declare. Give us a kiss. And uh, Lazenby. We've got nothing to declare. <laughs> <laughs> Nicky Van Der Zeel. Oh, I've got nothing to declare. Nicky Van Der Zeel yeah. didn't play the parrot? <laughs> she probably did, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, probably. Daniel Craig, I'd rather board. flip my wrists than have nothing to declare. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Smith. I've got nothing to declare! What would Craig be? He'd just be like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Got nothing to declare, okay? I said nothing. Vespa, cut, cut, cut. Across the border. I think it's time to move on. <laughs> we really have crossed the border. From nothing to declare.com.org. <laughs> All right, let's get into a whole group of scenes here that, um, if I'm if I'm going through too much here, just feel free to talk about whatever I miss. But uh, kind of getting up to the halfway point of the movie, this is again where there's just very brief scenes. Uh, some of them we've alluded to before. We see that um, Whitaker's introduction, and you know, for all you fans of uh, the quirky villains who have a quirky lair, uh, Stromberg is under the sea, Drax is in space, Christodos is on top of a mountain. Um, Whitaker's in the middle of his own hobby room, uh, <laughs> his own mannequin room here. <laughs> He's essentially a hobby guy. He he builds model train sets and <laughs> dresses up mannequins as himself. I don't know. It's like the worst quirk ever for a villain. I'm going to just be so critical of Whitaker in this movie. Uh, but we find out that uh, another scene that he's actually working with um, uh, Koskov and Necros. And so the whole Koskov defection thing, which again, I think is very mishandled in this movie. I would have love for them to drawn it out a little bit more and bond's kind of said these theories and it's confirmed in just very brief scenes john glenn has a problem with just these rushed scenes here i think he could have grouped them together because we have the the koskoff pool party with the the speedo and everything as was alluded to earlier <laughs> well um can Cos we quickly talk about i don't mean to interrupt but can we quickly talk about the defection um yeah because <sighs> I was trying to think of it today, and I'm not sure if I fully got it down. And was it explicitly stated in the film? And I just don't pay attention. But 
Koskov's defection, what's the purpose of that in the film? It's basically that they, it's very convoluted, but they wanted to come up with a reason for MI6 to kill Pushkin. Kill Pushkin, which, yeah. yeah. Which really makes no sense why they would go this far. Um, well, that's what and, I was saying. Like, I thought that that's what the plot was, but then I said to Ben before we got on, like, yeah, that might be the plot, but why to go to those lengths? Mm-hmm. To shoot him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I would have liked a it a lot Bond better. Mask like... And put it on and get Necros to do it. <laughs> if you drag this out a little bit, if you make it last to the halfway point of the movie, and this is the point maybe where Koskoff is taken back, you can tease it a little bit more. Um, I like that idea better, and I don't know exactly how you pull it off logistically, but it's just jumping back and forth at this point, and as much as I love the defection storyline when it is in the movie, it's dropped so quickly, and then you're really scratching your head, and this is another problem with just having too many villains. Spider-Man 3 gets so much criticism because it had too many villains. It had, like, three villains, but my defense of that, not that there's much to defend in Spider-Man 3, my defense of that is you had three villains who all had their own storylines at different points in the movie. They weren't really all on screen at the same time, except for briefly. The problem with this is you have Necros, you have Koskov, you have uh, uh, Pushkin, potentially, yeah. and you have Whitaker. So you have four potential villains throughout the movie, and they're all in their scenes together, and the scenes don't really even make sense. And I think that kind of hurts the movie, just having too many villains. Uh, well, mm. I would agree with that, um, and I'm not sure if we want to talk about Whittaker now or later, but I will say that that is, even though I'm a defender of this film, I mean, we can talk about it more, but I will say that that is one aspect I think this film seriously lacks in, and it's it's villains. Yeah, look, I probably agree with most of that. I mean, look, Whittaker, to me, is almost a wasted character, really. I mean, I can see why he's there, but... I don't know, it's kind of like at the end when we kind of have, you know, the big dramatic scene with Bond and Whitaker in his toy room. Ooh, it's sort of back to the Bond-Hans fight that we're all longing for. Um, you know, like, it really was no build-up to it at all. But, um, yeah, I I would probably have to go on the record and say I agree with that and also on the record that I'm a fan of Spider-Man 3. All right, Ben just lost our credibility again. <laughs> Play the Spider-Man three. I didn't do that in episode one when I uttered the words "I like die another day." Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen Spider-Man three. I've only seen one, two, and Amazing one. Well, let's cool. talk about Whitaker. <laughs> Sounds like I'm not missing much. <laughs> no, um, let's talk about Whitaker. It's got really- Jane. It's got not James Bond. Spider-Man turning into an emo. Yeah, an emu. <laughs> an emu. I need to see that. <laughs> It has him smacking around his girlfriend for laughs. It has him going all emo. Emu? Listening it, to jazz. It's pretty much everything Timothy Dalton does, but... Uh... <laughs> anyway. Timothy Dalton crosses Tobey Maguire is still a better Bond. A uh, better Bond. <laughs> Tobey Maguire is still a better Spider-Man. That's what I was trying to What's say. you and Connery this episode? <laughs> Tobey Maguire would be an alright Bond, wouldn't he? I'm <laughs> changing Bond. All right, Ben, you're fired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All in agreements, say. Hi. Say hey, I'm the new darker, edgier Ben in the living day. <laughs> <laughs> Not afraid to express his opinion more openly. Dark-edged, dangerous Ben Waterworth. <laughs> <laughs> Must have scared the living daylights with that statement. <laughs> let's, let's cover Whitaker really quickly before we move on to this r- group of scenes here. Uh, 
is Whitaker the most useless villain ever? Um, is he also the most annoying villain ever? Like, I, I don't dislike Jodon Baker, of course, will come back in Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies as a different character, as an ally. And I don't dislike him, though. I know a lot of people do dislike him. I don't dislike him in those movies. I really find him annoying as Whitaker here. I can't be the only one. Well, you know. he must also be one of the least shown villains up there with Dr. No. Like, he's not in it much, is he? Um, mm-hmm. Unless I've just blanked him out of my memory. But I, I really like the idea of having an American villain. I don't think it's something we've had. I'm just scrolling through them in my mind. Have we had an American? I don't think so. Um, Kelly Savalas? Well, <laughs> yeah, but was he supposed to be American? I'm not sure. No. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I really like the idea because so often it's like, here's the Russian guy. Um, so I like the idea, but it just falls flat because he's really bland Um I wouldn't say he's miscast. I just don't think the role is very well written. Um, And he is one of the most forgettable and one of the most useless villains up there with Christatos in my eyes. So that's one thing that really takes it away from this film. I do think uh, Koskov is quite good. And Pushkin, I'm not... Do you call Pushkin a villain? Maybe he's more of an ally. They tease him as a villain, yeah. I mean, he's part of the confusion. But then... You could almost ditch Whitaker altogether and make John Rhys Davies a mm-hmm. Bond villain. He would be an amazing, over the top, dramatic Bond villain. Like he is probably one of the best actors to appear in the series. Um, and evidence in him being in Indiana Jones and uh, Lord of the Rings. So make him a big, over the top villain. Um, so yeah, I'm not a Whitaker fan at all. I just he's in like four scenes and he's involved in the plot, but it just it's boring and falls flat in my eyes. One of the big downers the guy, of the the guy pretends to be a statue. Um, <laughs> probably sums it up. Well, Bond um, pretended to be a statue in Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, it's Roger Moore. So, like, I think all that was missing at one point was him to go, "Yo, Jimbo." Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, he redeems himself in two movies' time. I love. Um, I love him in Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. I think he's fantastic, even though it kind of was a poor man's Felix Leiter impersonation. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, no, like it's just there's just something about him in this film, and I guess kind of by the time I'd ever seen this movie, I'd seen you know Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies so many times. I'm like, hey, what's he doing in this? Oh wait, he's evil. Um, so yeah, and he, he, would he then kind of on your thing there know about the first American? Is he the only American villain? Um, well, Carver. We haven't had one. Well, Carver's British. Well, th- he's work. Is he working in America in that? No. No, no, you're right. <laughs> no. I don't know why. I assume, I assume the CNN thing that he would be American. CNN is like the evil organization. Um, he's meant to be Rupert Murdoch and <laughs> Silver. He's not American, is he? Um, no, he's Dominic like, Green. Is he British? No, no, he's like. From, he has yeah, a weird accent. It's got to be the only, got to be the only American. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look at how well it worked out. Well, I'm sure there's mm. been henchmen that have been like Tihi was the actor was American at least, but I guess they're from mm. San Monique, aren't they? Um, yeah, I guess so. Wow, there we go. I'm sure we're <laughs> really missing. Love the we Americans in the Bond franchise. Grace Jones. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, uh, there you go. Grace Jones. She was American. <laughs> Last film. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we remembered of you to a kill. Well, in a while, hasn't it? <laughs> Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he was playing like a German character, wasn't he? But wasn't he American as well? Oh fuck it, just whatever. Um... Welcome to Double Old Seven. Buy yeah. your t-shirts here. <laughs> <laughs> the next t-shirt to come in the franchise of 007 is was What's he American? American? Question. <laughs> Picture of Christopher Waltz. <laughs> Jeez, we need to get into these this t-shirt business. Yeah, the merchandise section is coming soon. Um, <laughs> let's cover these scenes here. So we have a couple of... We have the Koskoff pool party where I don't know why he pushes that random woman into the pool for no reason. Uh, <laughs> Oh, it was the eighties. Yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't have any cocaine on it. That was that was one of the big gimmicks of the eighties. <laughs> Pushing women in pools. That's right. That's why oh, we had that Coscom. That's why we had all those women lying in the jacuzzis, jacuzzis, and the uh, <laughs> jacuzzis. <laughs> that what they call the Rick Cannon. That's where the cooties, the girl germs are in the jacuzzi. Not in the jacuzzi. Well, yeah, Ben's already already suspicious about Koskoff, so that's what he's doing. It's like, no, a woman, no. In the jacuzzi. (laughs) Jacuzzi's into the pool. What have we been talking about? Get your jacuzzi's off of me. This is your eyes only part two. Yeah. Let's get this. All right. So we have the pool party with the speedo. We have um, uh, Bond and Carr at the opera. Saunders comes back. He still wants to tattle on Bond. And then we have oh, the most cringeworthy moment of Dalton's career. Dalton on a roller coaster. Basically going, <laughs> wee! wee! The awkward thing I have ever seen. And it feels this whole Bond and Carl falling in love, which is just so awkward. Them at the carnival together. Um, I do like the 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 scene with Saunders' death by death by sliding door. <laughs> that scene was fantastic. Saunders dying was the best. It was, uh, and again, even to make this even more convoluted, the whole idea they're trying to sell this uh, death to spies, the Smirsh thing. Still, so they have it on a balloon because. <laughs> I don't know, an explosion and a sliding door, there's no chance at all that Bond is going to miss a balloon floating around. Like, how is that balloon even there still? They're leaving the most obscure clues. Uh, But (laughs) Saunders is dead. Um, He's race or something. He's gone all (laughs) over the world following the clues. Teams must survive being slammed into a door. (laughs) James must ride the bumper cars before chasing after Smirsh. Yeah, and then we have um, uh, the. I mean, Necros is listening to the same song on his iPod again, which I like. And I don't know if we also an iPod in the eighties. The Pushkin scenes here, but um, no, we'll save that because there's a bit of a chase afterwards. So yeah, all this, and uh, I believe this. I didn't put in my notes, but this is the section of the movie where Kara uh, does. uh, We know she sleeps with Bond, but does she get turned here? Is this where the turn is, or am I ahead of it? I think it's a bit later on. Yeah. No, isn't it? Isn't it here when they like do it in the Ferris wheel? Oh no! That, yeah, that comes after later. Well, no, that's where they do it. Yeah, I'm talking about her turning. Yeah, so. they they may um, get the jacuzzis on, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that she's turned. <laughs> well, Bond might have turned her around at one point. You'd sleep know. with oh, uh, Helga Brand. <laughs> 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 
God. You always put me in it, and then you blame me. Blame you just said turn her around a bit. I love that she there's it's not just turn her around. I love that it's turn her around a bit. It's not just <laughs> a full 180 swivel. It's just a bit. Let's do it about 90 degrees to start with, and we'll work our way up from there. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm so lost on the scenes we're talking about. Let's just talk about everything in this section of the movie oh. uh, up to when Pushkin comes in. Uh, I don't buy the chemistry. I don't buy them suddenly falling in love because even if from Bond's side, he's you know he's doing this all as a mission. This is where the writing's a problem. It's all a mission for him. You don't have any scenes where he's like, you know, seems to be really be falling for her. And she's 100% devoted to Koskov still at this point, and then just all of a sudden she sleeps with him on a Ferris wheel. Um, I don't even know what's going on in this episode. Let's just talk for a while. Um, yeah, I just really can't take James Bond on the bumper cars too serious. Like, he started playing paintball at the beginning, and now he's on bumper cars. Um, uh, Dalton, um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the fair scene I definitely see what they're doing they're trying to show character development of those two getting closer together but did they have to do it at a circus like fair kind of thing like it's just a bit silly like the wee on the uh, roller coaster <laughs> bringing back more someone needs to edit that in um, but I do like that they put the effort in to show that these two are getting closer together and Bond posing as Koskov's friend try and get information off her while she's slowly like beginning to trust him i don't know if it was done the best it possibly could have but i like that they put the effort towards that um and then saunders getting killed um i think they needed a canned studio cheer there when saunders got (laughs) killed uh no one was sad about the death of saunders um but then you have to wonder who's the poor sod working at Smirsh, who has to do the printing of balloons, like <laughs> who is the one who gets that crappy job? That oh, come on, uh, Gregor, we need ten more Smirsh balloons for this mission we're about to go on. Like, where did they get? Did they was that like a stall at the fair? Like, print your own tag on this um, balloon, and they just quickly got it done or something. Like, yeah, I'm reading far too much into it, but that's hilarious that they keep leaving these clues around for Bond to eventually hunt after them. Um, yeah, so I'm mixed feelings on this scene. I appreciate what they're trying to do, but at the same time, it's Bond on bumper cars. Just uh, want to quickly go on here and on, on Wikipedia's description of some characters in this movie. Um, Jodon Baker as Brad Whitaker, an American arms dealer and self-styled general. Um, John Reese davies as General Leonard Pushkin, the new head of KGB, replacing General Gogol. Gogol. Uh, Robert uh, and Thomas Wheatley as Saunders, Bond's ally. Um, <laughs> that basically sums him up. He got chopped up in a door. Hilarious. And I just also want to point out, in the last 10 years, we have seen James Bond go into space. We have seen James Bond become a clown. We have seen James Bond in a fake iceberg speed away, and you two are going off that you can't buy James Bond on a Ferris wheel and dodge him cars. Get the fuck out of here. This is... 
character development. They're falling in love. It's a nice thing you do. I don't know what you did with Jamie when you were courting her, Colin. Like, take it to a fun fair. Jesus. Well, yeah, but I'm also not James Bond. I might belong on a roller coaster. Does he? James Bond is allowed a day off. Like, I'm sure Bond enjoys normal things. Well, yeah, let's go back to Bond in his ballroom dancing with the stars from Never Seen Ever Again and let's... (laughs) Retcon our opinions on that. Bond deserves to have some flamboyant dancing. This is a man who generally meets someone at a bar, beds them that night, and somehow they're, like, fucking all day, and you're meant to believe there's a relationship there. At least we're seeing some building of a relationship here, so... We don't, know because at what point during these building scenes do they even seem to have the slightest bit of attraction to each other? She's still talking about Koskoff all the time. But it's a montage. They're on a they're a on a montage. Ferris wheel. Yeah, it's a <laughs> montage of two people <laughs> giggling and smiling and like high five. You giggle when you're happy and in love. That's yes, what but you do. do we want you to smile. see James Bond going like, I want to ride it again. Come on, Karen, let's go again. <sighs> oh, I think the my opera God, scene works. Maybe not the fair scene. I'm glad I wasn't at your wedding. I don't know how that would have happened. Um, no, it's I like it. It's sweet. It's cute. Like this is James Bond is, is not sweet and cute. <laughs> Why can't you understand this? Um, but wasn't it great when Saunders died? Um, yes. <laughs> no, look, I there's just something about this I like. Okay, so you know whatever. I just I like this how it kind of builds up and then we get obviously something's building up in their loins that they have to do it on a ferris wheel um and it just it just works and i think that's the point where she turns like and not the way you're thinking like she drugs him two scenes later (laughs) she turns here because she thinks that he's like not good but she still thinks she still thinks that he is koskov's friend though yeah. All right, well, can we just analyse the situation? If she hasn't turned, then she's the worst girlfriend in the world because she's just cheated on Kozkov then, a man that she loves. James Bond cheats point. on Sylvia Trench all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's James Bond, that's what he did. But, like, it's... it's... <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, okay, all right. I'll close this out by saying, James Bond, I would go to a fun fair with him. Well, we know would you would fun. with Daniel Craig, but would you with Timothy Dalton? <laughs> That's a different type of fun fair, Colin. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to end this by saying Ben's wrong. Let's move on. Uh, um, <laughs> that needs to be on a t-shirt with Ben's face. Ben's wrong. With Let's a big cross over the, face, over the face. I'd wear that. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, now wow. let's go into pretty much the second half of the movie. I'm going to say one thing in defense of this movie here. I'm definitely a bigger fan of the first half of the movie than the second half. Yeah, but I agree. The the one thing I will give this movie credit for in the second half is that they, even though we've said the plot does not necessarily make that much sense, the transitions from one thing to another have been more, not necessarily seamless, but more seamless than what we've seen since Honor Magic Secret Service, I'd say. Pretty much from Diamonds Are Forever on, we've said every single episode, halfway in the movie, it just becomes a different story and you have this brief explanation. We kind of went from this defection to the whole thing with Pushkin to the thing with Smirsh, to the thing with, okay, well, we know it's not Smirsh, then we have all this other stuff, and it, it's more seamless than we've had up until this point, and I think they deserve credit for that. There's more of a cohesive story here, even if it's not completely flushed out. Uh, we have a couple of scenes here with Pushkin now, so uh, Pushkin is um, 
bonds questioning him. So we know that there's this relationship, which again, this one thing that needs to be put into context is that this role was still supposed to be General Gogol, which would have made sense. We know that relationship between them. Just having you say a few times, Bond, trust Pushkin, and all of a sudden he's holding him at gunpoint, I just don't think it's as effective. It's not that it's bad. It's not that Pushkin's bad in this movie, but this works better with Gogol, without a doubt. But at the same time, John Rhys-Davies. Yeah, and it's John Rhys-Davies, so we can forgive it. It's just find another way. Make him more villainous. Make it more questionable. Um, find a way to fit Gogol in there. Maybe have Gogol just held captive the way that M was in The World Is Not Enough, something. Uh, this leads to Bond uh, eventually making his getaway after, what, stripping a woman down naked to stand before a guy entering the room. <laughs> that's and, a hero. Uh, yeah, that's the hero. That's that's hard-edged Timothy Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's hard? It wasn't intended that way, but uh, now I get the, the joke. Um, <laughs> then there's this brief chase scene here where... Uh, Bond, I'm kind of confused here. There was the, the escape. He basically hits a guy in the face with an antenna. This whole sequence was supposed to be longer. This was the magic carpet ride scene, right? Yeah, yeah so there's yeah. A, a deleted scene here, which is famous. You can actually see the deleted scene. I think it's without audio for the most part on the, the DVD or the Blu-ray, where Bond makes a getaway by magic carpet ride. And they explain it off as that the sequence was running too long. So they ditched the magic carpet ride. <laughs> Love that story. I, I, yeah, and I swear, I, I could go back and time this, and this will be under 60 seconds, this escape. The magic carpet ride was the dumbest thing they could have ever done, so they had some insight. So after this, we have, uh, again, I'm, if I'm missing some things, let me know later, but Felix's hooker's mug bond uh, at gunpoint. <laughs> Is that like a spin? Because I just... <laughs> <laughs> Felix Felix's Angel, hookers. yeah. They're working the streets. Uh. <laughs> hey, hookers. Good morning, Felix. <laughs> Felix's hookers, yes. There's a uh, And then we have what I think is a better scene between Bond and Kara, Bond's confession to her. Uh, we find out that she thinks he's a KGB agent. And um, uh, Kara basically drugs Bond because she's buying into the story she's been fed. There's a little bit of the airplane stuff on there. Koskov and Necros are you know, clearly in on this whole plan. Uh, Bond is being smuggled across the border again. We get more smuggling uh, under the name of Yerzy Bondov. Uh, I guess I've that's got the Russian to version. Declare. <laughs> I guess the uh, the yeah. Godfather. <laughs> Wait, what the Godfather? What? <laughs> I was reading Godfather, the Bondfather. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed something. What? <laughs> I'm going to declare something he can't refuse. I'm gonna... oh. <laughs> yeah, bad accents. What Double Seven is known for. You're throwing Colin off. Keep going, Colin. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Colin. it's a bad one for you to host, Colin. I'm so, sorry. so this is the this is the unconvincing turn again of Kara, where a second ago she's drugging Bond after apparently Ben said she was turned in the Ferris wheel. She jugs all the men to turn her. Yeah. Was he just talking about how Ferris wheels work? Like, yes, Ben, they do turn around. They do uh... turn. <laughs> there is a rotation that is worked into the mechanics of it. Just like but, Bond's uh... women, the wheels turn around. I don't even know what that means. Is that going to be on our t-shirts too? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Lord, so... this episode started out so good. 
Yeah, so look, quickly on the airplane, Tara is turned again, I don't know how, and we have one-liners that really make no sense at all, the, the whole saying, duty has no sweethearts, which I'm not sure what it means, and then Bond says the line that we've wanted him to say all the way since Sean Connery introduced himself to Dr. No, you're full of it. Um, sequences here with Pushkin's assassination or fake assassination, Bond confessing to Kara, um, the getaway minus the magic carpet ride, and Kara turning a couple of times back and forth throughout the course <laughs> of smuggling Jersey Bond off across the border. Leave that one alone, Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that Felix Leiter, John Terry in this film is so memorable that you didn't even talk about him. You just referred to Felix as hookers. <laughs> yeah, just the hookers. The hookers, the hookers are-, are more memorable and worth talking about. Uh, <laughs> I'll touch on Felix in a moment, but that was just so uh, uh, worked so well with this film that you didn't even talk about Felix because that's pretty much what he's like in this film. Uh, firstly, I love all the Tangiers and Afghanistan stuff. Like the Middle East is definitely underutilized in Bond. I think it works every time they go there, and it's always a great location. Uh, I love all the rooftop kind of chases, like rooftop Middle Eastern chases are always going to be good no matter what film you're in. Um, mm-hmm. Fake assassination's kind of cool with the blood packs that he's got. Um, oh, Colin, we're going to disagree again and we're going to alienate all the fans, but maybe not as bad as Die Another Day. I actually like the magic carpet ride. Oh. Um, I watched it again today. Like it, it definitely belongs more in a Roger Moore film, but I still think... It's funny, like, um, it's not technically a magic... Like, people need to watch it. It's technically not a magic carpet, right? He's on wires and he slides down on a carpet, but it's still ridiculous, like... Shouldn't the it, carpet be sinking in the middle yeah, of those wires? The, the carpet must have, like, cardboard in it or something, or metal, <laughs> because it would completely just sink in and he would just fall off. Ah! Like, it was ridiculous. But, I don't know, it kind of works, and you've got, like... I'm not sure if it was subtitles or if it's just because there was no audio, but you've got the guys guys there smoking, and one of them says, I told you this stuff was good, just as you see Bond on a magic carpet. Like, that's just hilarious. But, uh, yeah, perhaps also something that should be in a Roger Moore film. So I don't love it, but I think I like it more than most Bond fans do, just because it is so absurd. But it probably doesn't belong in the film, though. Um yeah, rooftop fighting is always cool. Felix uh, and his hookers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge Lost fan. I think uh, Joe is a great actor. This Felix is just... It's not even like he's bad or that he is... Like, it's not a good Felix or that he's a bad actor or anything like that. It's just the role is underutilized. Like, we had Chang Lee last film who could have been a great Felix... And this time, Felix is in one or two scenes, and it's like, why did they even bother? It's been so long that, since we've had Felix, and this is his triumphant return. Mm. Um, I, I honestly feel like him and Dalton could have chemistry if John Terry's Felix was in a lot of a lot more of the scenes. Like, they could work together. They're kind of similar age. They both look incredibly 80s. Um, it's just... A victim of the script and the directing and the editing that he becomes the worst Felix of all time, probably even worse than Sex 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 Linda, um, because of just he's barely in it. Like, why is Felix in this film other than to just help Bond get away with his, with his hookers? Um, 
So, yeah, I, I do think there's potential, and I think I'm higher on him than a lot of people are, only because I see the potential yet there. But, yeah, he probably is the worst Felix of all time. Um, and did we have a Diamonds Are Forever uh, throwback there? There's a line in there that says, we'll call Amsterdam to ship the diamonds. I can't even remember what uh, in relation that is to, but surely that's a uh, Diamonds Are Forever reference. Um where was Granny in all this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't even remember why they wanted diamonds, to be completely honest, but that was a line in the film. So I don't know if that was meant to be or not. Um, and then the plane stuff and the confession. The plane stuff is fine. We'll get to the prison in a minute. But the stuff with the, the tub thing is just kind of weird. And, yeah, the Godfather, but... Um, it's fine. It's getting us into Afghanistan, setting us up for a kind of cool little last quarter of the film or whatever. But I like all the Tangier scenes, though, even though it's it's kind of a bit convoluted in some bits. The only way I would have bought the magic carpet scene if we had have had, I could show you the world. <laughs> I got it in the rest of the song, but um, Aladdin reference for anyone there. Um, <laughs> As if nobody knew that. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Just in case you got that mixed up with that other magic card. I just want want carpet ride films. I want to hear Ben at some point go, this would be a really great point to have. James Bond theme, in case you didn't know. (laughs) Look, we might have some listeners who have never seen movies, okay? So, (laughs) they just are there. Um... I like the whole uh, scene with the whole setup for um, for Pushkin's death. Well, sorry, quote death, um, and his mistress, who's all like, Aah! like going back to the crybaby that Colin was talking about. Then he's okay, um, and we we get to see first actual nudity in a Bond film. Did we all pick that up on the the nipples that were clearly visible from our dear old but naked lady how friend? Is it? Or was it a woman? Yeah. <laughs> how is it well, that Daniel every, Craig nipples every single episode Ben finds a way to notice a nipple in the series I don't think we've had one because... episode where Ben's like did you guys catch the nipples here did you see ben, the nipples in that because I have a talent I... ground in Bond fandom we need a nipple count from Ben what are we at in our nipple count in the series at this point <laughs> and what's our theme song nipply 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 um <laughs> That was the creepiest thing ever done on this show, ever. <laughs> I told you I'm an edgier Ben Waterer. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what you're... Um, I, love, I love the chase on the roof. I, I, I think it's great sort of jumping, and I agree with you, Noah, that anything in the Middle East is fun. Yeah, it's probably a bit too short, but I love what we have. Well, I didn't count it as a kill before you go off at me. Nearly death by aerial. Um, and then, like, he could have, like, turned around and gone, that should make you pay for your cable or something. I don't know. Like, there's what? a one-liner in there somewhere. <laughs> like, if he had a died, like, a Bond one-liner. That's a James Bond reference. Um, and... <laughs> yeah, look, John Terry, a.k.a. Bob Warner from 24. Um... Yeah. Like, why... Why the hell do we have random Felix... Before they have to bring back David Hedison. Like, can't David Hedison be there? Like, why? I don't get it. Um, I, it's pointless. Felix shouldn't even be in this film. He has no purpose, let's be honest. Um, I, go, Colin. Yes. I was just going to say, I, I mean, you mentioned 24. I can't believe, Noah, you didn't mention this is Christian Shepard from Lost. As I said I was Felix a big Lost fan. 
What's that? I said I was a big Lost fan, or did I forget to say that? Oh, I, don't... I heard you say something about Lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I didn't notice the first time I watched this film. Well, actually, I saw it probably before 2004, but um, it only took me until maybe like two years ago that I realized, hey, that's Christian. I love the fact that Colin a second ago turned into Roger Moore in Live and Let Die. What was that? <laughs> What was that? Um I I love the line you mentioned it, Colin, about the go back to Sean Connery days when he's like, We have an old saying and it's you're full of it or whatever the hell he says. I love how he says that line. Um and just the whole like look, this is my defense of Bond and Kara. Like she falls for him in a way in the in the Ferris wheel. So she's got those feelings there, but of course she's deeply betrayed when she finds out, Oh no, he's actually going against me. So then she's going to like poison him and take him away. And then of course she's turned on by Koskoff. So of course she's going to be like, well, maybe Bond actually really isn't a bit of a prick. So I'm going to be in love with him anyways. Like that's completely logical. Like this is logical. This girl falls for every man that she meets because there's nothing that happens here to make her. She turns in the prison. I'm calling it there. She turns in the prison. but again, this is this is what this is the James Bond universe. Bond sleeps with a woman in Goldfinger, and she all of a sudden turns from being a said lesbian to you're, saving the world. Yeah, you're like, right about that. But let's look at it. There are only a few times in which they really promoted a real love story in Bond, and this is one of those times. Now, does this hold up to Bond and Vesper, Bond and Tracy? It doesn't even come close. Not Bond and Tracy. I mean, I have certain issues with Bond and Vesper, but we'll get to that oh. in Casino Royale. I'm not, I'm not saying this is better than Bond and Vesper because I can see what they're doing there. But, I mean, Bond and Tracy is a quintessential Bond love story. Um, but look, look, I, this is maybe this is where I should go with this. I think they could have expanded on this a little bit more. And then I, I, I see, yeah. I think it's there. And I think it's, it's there. great. It's definitely there. And it, it really is great. there that perhaps... Well, I I think that they yeah could have maybe made it a little bit more into it, and they're not necessarily saying like he should have gotten married again or anything like that. But, <laughs> Dalton um, gets married to Kara. <laughs> Can I? Uh, she could have played the cello quickly because both of you kind of glossed over it. Uh, I would love to hear both of your opinions on uh, Felix, aka Christian Shepherd, aka what's his face Warner uh, from. 24, 24, a.k.a. pretty much been in every single, like, movie such TV show showing up in the background. Uh, Felix, <laughs> like, do you think there was potential or is he just shit as well as not being in it much? I think as an actor, I think that he did an okay job and it's not like Cess Linder where you're like, wow, I mean, <laughs> let's cut his scenes in half because this guy's got to KFC. But... <laughs> Like, John Terry, he seems like he could have been okay if they wrote this. But this doesn't even feel like Felix. It feels like they just had yeah. a guy, and let's put the name Felix. You know, we're already saying how Pushkin, you can tell that was Gogol's role in the movie. And then all they really did was, you know, change the name. They didn't even change anything else. I don't know. Did, was this just random CIA contact? Or was this supposed to be Saunders and he wasn't supposed to die? And they just said the last minute, let's put Felix in here. I think it's been a while since we've had Felix. That's all it feels like. I knew he was in the movie. Like you said, I just glossed over it because what is there to even talk about? He's just sort of there yeah. briefly and then gone. I think it's just yeah, Dasex I... Machina to get Bond out of the situation he was in. And they're like, hey, let's bring Felix back. It's a new, edgier Bond. <laughs> let's get I a new, edgier Felix. 
<laughs> well, I think I think what they do wrong with like this in a view to a kill is like swap it over, make Felix in a view to a kill, and make Chuck Lee in freaking you know this like it's he just like random CIA CIA guys guys. Let's not get into Blofeld again. Let's not get into. We've got Try the that again, Ben. And the random CIA guys. <laughs> what is this film? Random CIA guy. <laughs> Is probably a better description because at no point, like, like it's kind of like in every Bond film, they've, I mean, there's a new actor for a Felix. They've always got to over-exaggerate, like, oh, Felix, I didn't know you were here. Like, you know, he just needs to turn to the camera and go, ladies and gentlemen, it's Felix. Like, I mean, that's what you feel like he needs to do. And it's just, like, if you analyse the history of the Felix lighter character, like, do you ever remember John Terry is... <laughs> You know, Felix, because, like, again, like, David Hedison a- appears again in the next film after, like, you know, again, like, that'd be, like, sex, 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 Linda just randomly, oh, Felix <laughs> is back as the actor that played him, like, 20 years ago. Like, it was kind of random, and I'm a huge David Hedison fan, and we'll get to that, but, like, I don't know, John Terry's a great actor, but I don't think he puts in a particularly good performance even in an acting capability want, in this film. I want someone to re-edit an episode of Lost where... Jack's dad is talking, and then it goes, oh, yes, I remember that time back in the 80s. And this is a flashback of what Christian Shepard was doing getting up to in the 80s. Sounds like a Family Guy episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Yeah, let's move on from Felix and his hookers uh, into (laughs) Afghanistan, as you alluded. So and they land in Afghanistan. They're basically going to lock Bond and Kara up. And um, there's a fight scene where Bond escapes. He uses his little gadget from Q, his whistle gas gadget. And uh, the fight scene, I'm going to say again, I- I'm I'm not criticizing the fight scene. I- uh, I'm criticizing people's perception of this movie as being, you know, different from the Roger Moore's or anything. This is a good fight scene, and it uses the environment. But if you really watch this fight scene and you write down what happens in here you get the same notes I have, which is chain, uh, uh, the chain of your handcuffs to the guy's nose, wood chair smacked across somebody's back, and Kara hitting a man in the head with a bedpan. Um, that's how they use the environment in this sequence. This, again, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan has a fight scene like this, and he's just crucified. Roger Moore does it, and it's the dumbest thing ever, and somehow Timothy Dalton gets away with it, and people think, that there's not silly things in this movie. This fight scene is a silly fight scene, but I like it, and I wish that there was more stuff like this in License to Kill, which is why I think this is a better movie. Uh, following their escape, Bond lets the one prison out of there. We find out is uh, Cameron Khan, and here we have what I alluded to in the beginning, which is basically the plot of this movie is that James Bond joins Al-Qaeda. Um, <laughs> if people want it's not ISIS. Yeah, if people want a brief history lesson, this whole movie at this point is revolving around the fact that uh, Koskoff and um, Whitaker, I already forgot his name, he's so insignificant. Koskoff and Whitaker's plan is basically to be providing weapons to Russia because there was this decade-long war where Russia invaded Afghanistan. And the whole idea here is uh, that they're the bad guys because they're providing weapons to Russia. The real history that's been made known now is that the Americans were on the side providing weapons to these <laughs> Afghan rebels oh, classic who later turned into Al-Qaeda, essentially. <laughs> America doing what Koskoff and Whitaker are doing in this movie started Al-Qaeda. How did Al-Qaeda that turn out first... for America? Just, uh, it, yeah. That... 
But it's really funny watching 80s movies that do represent Afghanistan because Rambo 3 did the same thing. I don't know if either of you have seen Rambo 3. Yeah. Not the, not the best Ridiculous movie in the series. Film. It's, the same, it's the same thing. Not as good as Spider-Man 3. <laughs> yeah. 3s are not good for uh, film franchises. I like Rambo 3. It's just ridiculous. Though. Well, Rambo... Except for Goldfinger. It's, it's the same problem that this movie has, that this dates the movie because you look back on this now and when you made this during the 80s, it was, okay, well, you know... Afghanistan, they're heroes, these are rebels fighting the desert, and you watch this 20 years later, and it's a completely different story, but this and Rambo 3 are portraying it as in these guys are heroes. It really is James Bond joining Al-Qaeda, if you think about it. But um, So does that mean in, like, 20 years' time, like, right now, we're loving on, like, the Norwegians, like, when they're all, like, <laughs> destroying the world. Oh, that dates the 2015 uh-huh, movies, the Norwegian love. Like, yeah. Who knew uh-huh, what uh-huh, uh-huh would they get were up to global in dominators. <laughs> What's going to happen when Canada drops a nuclear warhead on Snug and suddenly the episode, <laughs> old episodes of 007 are considered controversial for having us on this together? I just love, uh, instead of Snug, there's just a massive, like, crater hole. <laughs> but improved Snug, actually. It's, like, it's kind Every of, like, other summer developed gets it. out fine. It's just the Your new of Prime Snug. Minister, Colin, he's a bit of a prick. Like... <laughs> This is where it's going. This is this is premonition. Justin Trudeau will bomb Snug. <laughs> Snug will now be. Oh yeah, I really don't ass. like what he talked about in Double R Seven. Ooh, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a giant creature on And then there's going to be an arrow pointing saying Noah Graves House. <laughs> Co- Co- Colin was right about the nothing to declare line. That Noah Groves is a wanker. Boom. Bomb Snug. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Eh? I'm going to uh, cover the, the everything here up until the plane. Um, so we have the rebels in the desert stuff, you know, the, the Afghans, Aussies. Al-Qaeda, their heroes. What's that? Horsies. Horsies, yes, we have more horsies for Ben. This is what, like five <laughs> movies in a row now? Uh, oh, it's I started I with it. Moonraker, unless Spy Love Me had a horsey, but I don't think it did, did it? What was the horsey um, in Moonraker? When he becomes a cowboy, of course. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> How could you forget? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I can sadly say we do not have horses in license to kill. <sighs> Rebels are in the desert. Horsey's all over. Bond knows raw opium just from the tastes. Um, he's, he's on more than martinis in this movie. Uh, Cara, Bond basically is sneaking and you find out that they're not smuggling diamonds or weapons, really. They're smuggling raw opium and this is gonna be worth a fortune and then they can continue to fund russia's war on al-qaeda and bond leaves and car comes to the rescue which i love the moment where she's like she's riding off to save him and you see her holding the gun and it just going back to when bond says she doesn't want in from the gun from the other i would love if she was holding it backwards and the barrel were pointed like right at her own chest because <laughs> i don't know why Kara coming to save somebody at this point really matters in the movie um bond locks himself into a truck then locks himself into a plane and we'll stop there there's a little bit of a battle that goes on this is where the climax really starts and it's traditional james bond giant army of al-qaeda versus some russian soldiers (laughs) bond fires a gun in the air because again this hard-edged dangerous bond apparently kills nobody and i swear james bond jr killed more people in like the first few episodes of that show than timothy dalton has killed in anybody (laughs) at this point in the movie But let's stop at that point, the whole um, escape through Afghanistan and the first part of the climax, Bond trapped in the airplane and Al-Qaeda at war. Um, Well, firstly, like when they're in the prison, 
that guy, that guard is just like the worst person ever. <laughs> like, he used to be a douchebag ever. Oh, woman. You won't be hung in the morning. You'll be shot. Yeah, he's just, oh my God. Uh, there was the can cheering when he was dead, too. Like, that was crazy. And what was um, with his very dead. neon green tight t shirt he's wearing? <laughs> I do like the escape, though. Um, everything in the Afghan. I do like the Bond and Kara escaping on the horse. He's joined the Afghan resistance and let that guy go free. How does Bond know, not know that he might be like the biggest terrorist in the world or something? He just yeah. lets him go free, although maybe he did end up being the biggest terrorist in the world. I'm not sure. That was Osama bin Laden. Nobody realizes it. <laughs> I always see how Bond is always resulting in bad things for the world. <laughs> I don't. They need to get rid of Bond. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Cameron Shah is a big uh, Bond ally along with Saunders. That's really lacking this film. The allies coming off uh, Tibbet and uh, well, I'm not a big VJ fan, but better than Cameron Shah. Uh, bring back uh, Max Calber and Hussein. From the spy love me um i yeah i do like the big shootout there that i have in their compound type thing uh and then onto the plane and then kara showing up with the car is always hilarious because you just pitch up on oh what are you doing why did you come here like she's just like you always have Your to get gun, involved. it's backwards kara <laughs> like she's just the typical oh i'll help out but he's just useless <laughs> at everything and just driving along is always funny like go back go back but um she's tiffany case yeah. Ooh. <laughs> but um tiffany case would be great in this film um i do like all the action stuff that happens here with bond helping out the terrorists though <laughs> wow that okay um how can you not like cameron oh you too he's in like oh. three scenes of the movie i mean do we get a chance but to like what? him Three scenes are they? They're brilliant. Like he's up there with plenty of tools for like the people who are in <laughs> the film for the least, and like have such screen presence that I want to go on a Ferris wheel with them. Probably. Um, I don't know. Like, but oh, Cameron's awesome. I love Cameron. I love the the scene in the the prison. I, that guard, like he's a prick, but I just love it. Like I didn't tell you to get down. I didn't tell you to get up either. <laughs> I didn't say Simon says. <laughs> um and yeah like as you were saying like he lets him out of jail like you know like he could have just turned around and shot bond or something like that like yeah but i just i love this whole setup like yeah okay bond's kind of joining al-qaeda but i guess in like 1987 al-qaeda was kind of all right to join like, <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think they call it al-qaeda back then did they um you know i mean again it's not isis it like al-qaeda's kind of resist- so 2001 like isis is the one we hate now like you know you know, they Al-Qaeda's only bombed the World Trade Center. It's not a big <laughs> deal, right? Well, they didn't decapitate don't, people. Uh, but... what the... no, <laughs> I'm not getting into this. That. Don't start. Don't start me on this, Colin. I've got myself into trouble a lot in this episode yeah. already. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's all... I like this whole setup. It's fun. It's interesting. Bond in the desert. Bond turning into... Um, a, a desert warrior again. I can't even <laughs> trying to think what I'm trying a to say here. Warrior? Lawrence of Arabia. That's where I'm going with that. Um... <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved the the one line I particularly love, and this is another one of the few um, Dalton good deliveries, is when um, Kara's all like, oh, we're safe, or something like that. And, and Bond's kind of like, 
Yes, we're just in a prison in Afghanistan, <laughs> in like well, I don't know, like a Russian prison in Afghanistan or something like that. His line that he delivers, I think that's like it's a great little quip. But um, it's going to be on a yeah, T-shirt Bond- any time now. <laughs> <laughs> Bond, um, you know, on horses, um, you know, it's fantastic, and yeah, this whole setup into this big, huge finale. Um, which is fun. I, I'm just kind of scribbling through my notes here and making sense. Um, James in plane, tank blow up, no music. Finally music. <laughs> Zoom on cockpit. James! Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing... I make sense of my notes. Yes. I've written... Hang on. Bulldozer house... Oh, bulldozer house, nude men. Typical Ben. Yeah. Notices the naked men running out of the house. <laughs> Bond, Bond is like in the middle of Al Qaeda, and Ben's notes have to do with male nudity again. Like, I really have turned into somebody joining the CIA. All right, yeah, let's shut up, oh, guy. No. Okay, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so, can can anybody just briefly before we move on to the climax agree with me on here? Hard edge, dangerous, murderous Bond is firing a gun in the air. Is he doing anything else at this point? In terms of being dangerous, he's fighting, necros? shooting, space. He's shooting Aliens? the gun in space. Like we know, the Roger Moore movies are often criticized for Bond just not killing people for whatever reason. Bond isn't killing anybody in this movie. I'm not saying like I want Bond out there like committing genocide on <laughs> Afghan rebels, <laughs> <laughs> but like everybody is Kara's willing to kill people here. Bond is just like, I'm going to fire it in the air. I don't want anybody getting hurt. Like, this is so, not the so we're, <laughs> we've established in this, this episode that Colin likes it when Bond's a prick to women and doesn't <laughs> fall in love and goes around just willy-nillingly killing people you. a la Thunderball. I at never the end said I didn't want him falling in love. I said I didn't want him riding <laughs> on a roller like coaster. Peace falling. Bond. <laughs> so, no, okay, let's read it. Let's this is Let's Kevin. re-edit the living daylights. James Bond is on a roller coaster with an AK-47 <laughs> needlessly gunning down. Slaying all the children. This is the fun fair. Oh, I'm going to scare the living daylights out of all of you. At the-, <laughs> <laughs> At the very least, it would fit the idea people have about this movie that this is like the, the dangerous uh, hard-edge Bond. It's just it, I'm more complaining about people's perception of this movie it's really no different than a Roger Moore. It's just you have a more physical actor playing it. But getting into a more physical actor. Getting into a more physical actor here, we have the plane fight. So Bond's taking off on the plane. And I just want to say I do like the the whole Afghan war thing going on. I think it runs a little bit too long. Uh, I think I clock this entire climax at like 20 minutes to half an hour. Like it goes on for a long time. But when they get in the plane, this is, again, some of the best stuff of the movie. There's the Necros fight in there, um, the the plane back being opened up. I said it back in A View to a Kill that that was sort of the end of the classic James Bond stunts. And I still stand by that because classic James Bond stunts is like one guy doing something incredible. This, however, is an, a part of an action piece that they could have done with a special effect. And it's just it works so well having these two guys hanging out of the back of this airplane uh especially you know knowing the behind the scenes footage that later on once necros is dropped and the cargo's dropped the 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 net just flopping back and forth and the fact that this guy almost died doing the stunt really dangerous stunt it looks fantastic on camera 
Um, I, I think the plane fight here is probably my favorite action scene of the movie, even over the car stuff earlier on. Uh, the fact that Bond almost forgets about the bomb is hilarious. He gets in, and all of a sudden he hears this ticking. He's like, oh, yeah, the bomb. I better defuse that thing with, like, two seconds left. I do question one thing here. The plane takes off, and the people are battling behind him. I don't know how after this plane's been in the air for five or ten minutes. The Hercules, this is, like, the most powerful airplane in the world. Why all of a sudden the tanks and the horses have been outrunning the airplane because the plane's coming up on their their rear, basically. When he left them behind in the beginning, it's a bit of a plot hole. Bond drops a bomb on a bridge. Boom, as Ben would do it. Boom, bridge blows up. Horses, <laughs> scary music. explosion. Oh, um, music is back. Yeah, music is back. Da 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 da. James Bond theme. That's if you James didn't know. Bond. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a, the exit with the jeep out of the back of the airplane. Um, I'm just gonna say it right now best exit out of an airplane inside of a moving vehicle that we will ever see in a James Bond movie. (laughs) And we might as well group in here because it's so insignificant. Whitaker's death uh, in the middle of his model battlefield. And uh, I do like the one line in there though, which I think in my opinion, the only one liner that, really is uh delivered well is actually by whitaker because i love not delivered well but the great one-liner of this movie is you've had your eight now i'll have my 80 i love that with him holding this massive machine gun uh so yeah the the whole climax with the plane is fantastic um i don't understand how the horses were out running the hercules but the jeep exit was a cool stunt and the whitaker death is so insignificant and i really wish that koskov had died this is the real villain of the movie he's the one driving the entire plot the fact that he just gets taken prisoner in the end, it's kind of just insignificant. So that was a sour note to end a good climax on. Um, yeah, I love the plane stuff. It's so well shot. It's one of the most iconic and memorable things about this film. Um, so much going on, both in the plane and out, and Wakara and Bond and Necros. Better if it was a better henchman, and this was a big fight. This was, to me, just like fighting the big face-off against Hans. Um so imagine if this was Bond and Jaws on this plane thing right here or someone. What if equivalent. Necros was in a Speedo during the fight? <laughs> oh, well, that makes it even worse. Uh, don't bring well, the Speedo back Ben would love it, but you'd be, you'd be out. Well, he's, not, he's not naked, so. <laughs> no, I'm out on the Speedo. I'm not sure Ben's opinion on <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, yeah, it's uh, this and the boat chase next film we'll get to. I just love these big over-the-top action things they do in the Dalton films. Um, the scenery is great, as I mentioned, and I love the car coming off the plane, the plane going and blowing up. It's just awesome. Such great stunts, and it's a very tense scene and action-packed and great climax. It's not your typical Bond climax of Bond shows up with an army and uh commits genocide which again maybe he should have here um but it's still a really cool stunt and the Whitaker death like yeah whatever except for um the line you brought up with the machine gun that's pretty cool but other than that like could not Whitaker have been a part of the big battle as well like did we have to have this stupid like does he ever leave his toy room or his pool like I don't think he does um and then uh, I like that we get a bit of Pushkin in there at the end. 
And that's cool Kara playing in the orchestra at the end, but with the bullet hole into it. Uh, that was really cool. Call back to We've Got Nothing to Declare, that awesome line. Um, <laughs> and then Gogol in it, which I, I, I always forget he's in this film. I kept thinking Vudor Kill was his last film, which, I mean, technically it kind of was, last significant role. But like this was supposed to be... Instead of Pushkin, it was supposed to be Gogol. So why is Gogol yeah. in the film? Like, well, again, we'll, I guess we'll cover these scenes too. We might as well group this in with the climax. Um, the, the whole story here is that Walter Cattell, who plays Gogol, he was supposed to be in this movie, but he was sick and he uh, he had to drop out of the movie. But when they filmed the final scene, he was well enough to do a brief cameo, so they threw it in there. But it does hurt the movie because you you really feel like this should be Gogol's part, and not Pushkin. Yeah, I think Gogol or Bust, you either have him or you get rid of him completely and make it a completely different thing, um, make him an, uh, a product of the Roger Moore era. Um, but whatever, it's a little cameo. It's fun to see Gogol back. Um, and then Bond and Cara finally get together again to end out the film. Um, but, yeah, it's a bit of an anticlimactic ending after the awesome plane stump with the Whitaker stuff. But I do like that we get a call back to the orchestra at the very end of it so it's kind of a cool ending to the film but horrible song at the end of it though like come on wow you're gonna hate me in a minute um yeah the, the plane is the the plane that's another t-shirt the plane <laughs> is yeah again amazing not a whole lot to add it's 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 very tense. Like you feel scared for for it's Bond scared and Nicholas. Scared the living daylights like, out of me. <laughs> it really does. Like it's it's just so tense and well shot, and oh, it's just it's amazing. And again, it's one of these scenes a bit where they're kind of you know flying out on that net. That's always shown in kind of a Bond montage, and it's just it's so well done. And yeah, the whole Bond forgetting about the bomb. Um, you know, there's a re-edit in that, like, oh shit, boom, and then that's it, and James Bond will not return. Um, but yeah, the whole sequence in with the the bridge and that looks amazing. That's well shot, even though I think it was a miniature, wasn't it? Um, and then yeah, look, <laughs> the plane driving out of the back. Um, you know, at least it looks realistic, unlike a certain one in the future. Um, but it's still quite good that scene we'll get to that um and yes then Whitaker's death well who gives two shits um (laughs) you know um there's really nothing to add on there again he's just he's literally throwing his toys out of his pram at Bond um although I do like Dalton's line even though it's not well delivered I think Moore would have had it so much better he met his Waterloo um oh that's a painful line then the the final bit, Cara, all that sort of stuff. Um, we get racist M um, <laughs> when they're talking about um, trouble at the airport. Oh, I can't imagine why. Like <laughs> these Af- <laughs> Afghans, Al Qaeda, is that a bit cringeworthy? Well, let's be honest. What? They walked in with their machine guns still strapped <laughs> to their bodies. It's not racist for them to look at men with guns and say they should have trouble at an airport. Well, in 1987, you could easily walk through an airport with guns. Okay, like it was a it was a happier time in the 80s. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's just and there's something endearing about the end of Dalton films with his women that kind of I don't know. There's just like there's no Roger Moore like keeping a British end up, sir. You know, it's or you know I've never had Christmas in Turkey. It's none of that. But like it's 
that wasn't Roger Moore. That was Pierce Brosnan. Just for the dumb bums who are listening to this, who don't know the dumb <laughs> mums. Did you say <laughs> what the mums got to do with bums? Sexist and ageist. <laughs> well, some mums are young. Like go to Bridgewater, but like it's. <laughs> Stop uh, throwing me off. I blame you two. Um, poor Bono. I, I like the. the <laughs> What Bono? You like, too. Um, you too. Uh, uh, by the way, that one liner that Noah just gave was better than the Waterloo line, <laughs> and that's saying something. This I will say though, like yeah, okay, the song at the end isn't brilliant, but I like the fact that from this point on we kind of get that extra song at the end of the credits. It's just again, it's it's a different oh. element that I kind of enjoy. <laughs> Um, it's no if you'd ask me to, but, um... <laughs> I just had a flash of the experience of love and just everybody sitting in a room saying the exact same thing Ben said. It's going to be great having that extra song at the end. <laughs> well, we get a great remix of Die Another Day at the end of Die Another Day. Right? <laughs> so... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> this is painful. Because this may be one of the best bonus songs, sadly, and it is terrible. You know what's got fantastic. Waterloo by Aberin. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's fantastic is that Colin gets to host this and he says he always gets the last word and he can always say I'm wrong. Just remember who's hosting Die Another Day in a few episodes of time. That episode is going to be right. great fun. Re-edit um, but yeah, no, it's... To the audience, <laughs> just remember who it was that mixed the fart sound effects into our opening box. <laughs> was it me or Noah? Without telling us. <laughs> Where was that in the pre-production meeting? <laughs> oh God, I don't even know what we're talking about. The credits are up. James Bond will return. Dalton and Kara are turning around and doing each other. Yeah, I- I'm just going to really briefly comment on the Kara thing. Um, the the fact that she's in the middle of a symphony. I don't even think she's the only cellist on stage, but yet everybody's talking to her. And the poster for this event is that it's her world tour. And she's, it's not like she's doing a solo performance. There are like four or five other cellists on stage. On that. What's that? Oh, didn't pick up on that, but that's hilarious. Yeah, but the big poster says it's her world tour. I don't understand why nobody else is but getting... When we, went and saw, when we went and saw Mary with the symphony orchestra, it was Mary in the Tasmanian... Like, it could be like Gar and... Yeah, the, but Mary was... Well, because she was probably the only singer. This is, the, this is one of like four cellists on stage. But in Bratislava, cellists are like singers. They're just... They're, people do them all the time, or I don't know. People do them all the time? <laughs> and this is in London right now. They're, they wouldn't even know who she oh, was. Oh, whatever. London, Bratislava, right. they're both in Europe. Uh, anyways, the only other thing I wanted to comment on was... You were saying like how Dalton can make these scenes work. And that's where I disagree because there is a perfect way to spin the one-liner he has where she's, you know, uh, saying that, uh, oh, oh, I didn't realize you made it. And he says, you didn't think I'd miss this performance, which he did miss the performance. So I don't know why that line works, but he's about to get it on with her. He could have just put the emphasis on this and you didn't think I'd miss this performance. That's how to deliver the line. And Dalton completely misses it. Let's get an interview with Dalton so you can give him some acting tips. But, but yeah, I think this is this is uh, this your, your is performance as Mister Pricklepants in Toy Story of Terror was just <laughs> below par. You delivered but that the, line this, so wrong. This is where I think it works for Dalton though, because it's a different type of Bond film. Like if this was a campy, he missed the one-liner. <laughs> but but no, but if this is a campy, it's the new Rod- Bond. He gets things wrong. 
Yeah. <laughs> a campy OTT Roger Moore film, then yeah, it's not going to work, but, but it, it kind of it goes in with... Roger Moore film. He but it go... barn across a lake. But it goes into the style of kind of just how it is. Like, I mean, you know, it's... I, I, I don't know. I don't buy that. It's kind of like then saying with Craig, when he does his sort of elements like that, like, ah, oh, yeah. Well, because... no, I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm in the middle. Yeah, I'll, I'll say part of my frustration is Timothy Dalton, maybe he just developed you know comedy skills later on but he's actually a really funny guy now like in his more recent movies i don't know if either of you seen hot, hot fuzz, fuzz. Yeah. he's amazing in hot he's fuzz really i mean funny he's in probably the funniest thing in the toy story movies uh now that he's in them he's and it's funny in looney tunes back in action <laughs> this is the man who put <laughs> fart sound effects in the beginning of octopussy <laughs> met, met with appropriate said- awkward silence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said chuck as well He's good at comedy later on. I just think that if we had Timothy Dalton now playing that role, I think uh, that he nails everything. That would be but, like Roger Moore and View uh, to a Kill if Dalton was in no, it I'm, not, I'm saying with his skills now. This is where I just don't buy that Timothy Dalton just was the greatest James Bond because there clearly is something missing from the comedy. Comedy he can pull off later on. The thing is, Noah, you joke about that saying he's aged. The funniest thing is, if you go to Timothy Dalton's Wikipedia page, they don't even know when he was born. Oh, yeah. He says, born 21st of March 1944 or 1946. One of those. Like, okay. <laughs> uh, we can talk about Dalton and more next episode. Let's get into yeah. some questions. Some qu- on, what, do we have listener we questions? Done, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just this one comes from Timothy Dalton uh, of Wales. <laughs> Let's get into How our good final was that scene bit. where I said, do I have anything to declare? Well, Timothy. Um... <laughs> uh, let's get into our final bits. We might as well start it off bits. with. That's yeah. <laughs> might as well start it off with our. Rankings, baby. Rankings. Rankings. <laughs> Ranking. We do this first now, okay. Rankings, um, baby. <laughs> well, let's do the rankings so that we can give our final thoughts on the movie at the same time. Is this rankings? So, no. Yes, we're doing rankings. I, I heard rankings. Didn't you hear that? No, I, heard I, it, was I didn't know I heard that it. it was normally first. What is well, it? Well, it's die. It's not. No, don't it, start. Don't it's start. It's not <laughs> Noah the- singing the theme so he doesn't recognize the song. <laughs> we're sorry it was in Fatty Esto's version. <laughs> no, I'm happy to do rankings. I think it's good because we'll wrap up our thoughts. Yeah. So that's what we'll do. We'll do the rankings to wrap up our thoughts. Uh, I'll go first here. Ben, you'll have to remind me just because I don't have an updated one in front of me, but I put last week A View to a Kill as my third last, right? Uh, that would be correct. Okay. So here we're at the 15th Bond movie, if my math is right on that as well, right? Six. Yeah. If you never no, say no, You are right. Again. Sorry, no. You are it's, right. Yeah. I think this is where the movie maybe was a bit of a missed opportunity. Not that they should have gone Die Another Day on it, but maybe gone Skyfall. Because I don't think in any way this is the biggest Bond movie ever, even in terms of story. But this should have been a big deal. This was the 25th anniversary of Bond and the 15th movie. It would have been a good opportunity to do a little bit of a bigger movie. Uh, Not that I have that many complaints about the movie itself. And as I've sort of stated throughout, a lot of my complaints about Dalton is I think people are giving him too much credit and not really recognizing some of his flaws, and that they're giving him credit for things that don't really belong. We'll get to the kill count in a minute, but this is not this hard-edged Bond, this this you know, murderous uh, assassin, this this gritty killer. 
because he really kills fewer people in this movie than any other movie. Um, and we see him giggling on a roller coaster. There are just problems with the betrayal of Bond in this movie that throw me off. Having said that, if you were talking to me even five years ago, I guarantee this would have been in my bottom two movies along with the other Dalton. But I'm able to separate these now, especially watching through the movies. And uh, I've watched through them in order before. But the story itself is good, even if it is flawed. And there are great sequences in here. And there's really only a few sections of the movie where it drags, mostly when it's dealing with the villains and some of the stuff with the love story. I just wish the casting were different. I wish that uh, Miriam Dabo had been able to play a little bit more playful because she seems like she's a fun personality. And I liked her screen test better than her performance in the movie. It's not as bad as I always thought it was, but I still think if I'm going to rank this anywhere, it's going to be closer to the bottom. Uh, I'm going to give it a positive review in my fourth last spot. So ahead of a view to a kill below the man with the golden gun. Yeah, so that would rank no. 12th. Third, no, thir- no, 13th. No, no 11. On. 11 is Man with the Golden Gun. 12. No, you are correct. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, what I've done, I've gotten a different tape. No, just ignore me. Just, yeah, 12th. We right. will. 12th, so ahead of View to a Kill, You Only Live Twice, and Diamonds Are Forever, below Man with the Golden Gun, Moonraker, Live and Let Die, etc. And again, if I'm going to say my final comment, just a final comment on the movie... Um, I think that this movie, for people who dislike it, they really do need to give it a second look because it is a good movie. And for people who like this movie, just please don't say it's because it's like a gritty Bond because it really isn't. All right. Uh, so you're saying people who don't like it need to give it a second chance. People who do like it need to shut up. So. No, people who do like <laughs> it just Collins give the, the proper highway. reasoning. <laughs> know what you're talking about. Wow. Um, yeah. Just everybody's Colin, wrong. That's what I'm getting at. This viewers. It's not just Ben. It's everybody's wrong. <laughs> um, that's a t-shirt um, with <laughs> Colin's face on it. Everyone's everybody's on. wrong, not just Ben. <laughs> Colin's face on the pitch. <laughs> um, Living Daylights. Um, I think it's a, a good film. It's really well shot. Um, it's one of John Glenn's probably better ones um, that he's directed in terms of directing. Uh, the locations are amazing. I think Kara is a big up coming off the past four or five Bond girls. She's not one of the best, but she's definitely a middle-ranked Bond girl compared to some of those other ones. Um, She could have been better, though. I think Pushkin works really well, um, and I think Koskov is quite good, too. Whitaker really brings it down. It's an incredibly weak plot, but I feel like a lot of them have been, but we've still enjoyed them. Like, Octopussy was a pretty bad plot. Um... Fear Eyes Only wasn't the most amazing plot either. Um, even Spy Love Me was recycled from uh, a previous film. So that's not a huge damper, but you definitely got to note that it's not the strongest plot either with like weapons and opium and Al-Qaeda. Um, there's some genuinely great action scenes. I think there is some comedy, even though people seem to say this is the most serious thing with no comedy ever. Um, I love the nothing to declare line that Colin hates. Um, and there are some other funny, like, why don't you learn violin? And the entire car chase is great. I'm not as down on Dalton as a lot of other, well, Colin is. Um, and a, a lot of people, like, we've been kind of talking him up like everyone loves him, but I still feel like a lot of people don't remember Dalton much and don't like him. 
Um, he's around the middle for me. I think this is a strong first performance if we look at all the first performances uh, and he needed to grow into the role a bit, but I think he does it well. And yeah, he may not be a rampage killer, but he's definitely more down to earth and more serious than what Roger Moore is, whether or not that's a good thing or not, I'm not sure. Um, but overall, I think Living Daylights is a strong Bond film, um, but I do think it is lacking some Bondiosity into it. Um, <laughs> so in saying all that, I am going to put it in, and I'm not sure if this will be a shock or if it will be what you thought I would or I don't know. Um, I'm going to put it in seventh place so far. That's above Moonraker, yes! Uh, yeah, so <laughs> basically it's it's below, I'll say what ones it's below. It's below Spy Love Me, Diamonds Are Forever, um, On a Majesty's Secret Service from Russia with Love, Goldfinger and Doctor No. So they're all the ones that it's below and you can fill in the blanks for what it's above. So seventh place. And I don't want to speak too soon because there's still like, what, nine films or so left, eight films or so but I think there's a good chance that it will be in my top 10 after we recap those other nine or eight. But I don't want to say for sure yet because it may not, but I think there's a good chance it will. One thing I guess we haven't really touched on in this episode is that it was planned for this to actually be the reboot, like a prequel for Bond. So, you know, this was meant to be the Casino Royale before Casino Royale, but they went ahead and didn't make that happen. But I, I think kind of Collins alluded to it a little bit that, you know, this was kind of a new era and everything. And it, and it really was. Like, I, I almost see this as a perfect transition from old star Bond into new star Bond. I think you have the more era ends, you have Dalton kind of as that middle ground, and then it transitions right into modern Bond with Brosnan and Craig. I think that there are more modern elements to this than classic elements. I think the classic elements of this being a real spy espionage film are really in there. I think the locations are fantastic. I love Dalton. Um, hard edgy Bond. I'm wrong according to Colin, but I don't give two shits because I think he is brilliant. I haven't read the books, but I could imagine reading the books and imagining that this is kind of what it is like. But obviously it needs a few extra elements to really be a type of, you know, Bond that I guess we as more humour compared to what Dalton does. But that's not to take away from how Dalton portrays it because I just love the way he does it. And again, comparison to Daniel Craig, we'll get to that. Um, I love the Kara relationship. I think it's fantastic. I've already gone over that. I love Koskov. I love um, I love Cameron. Um, and I just, I just love this film. It's so good. Um, having said that, I, I mean, I mentioned kind of in a view to a kill that pretty much from here on in, my ranking is going to change a lot. Noah, you say that yours might not change a whole lot kind of with about nine films to go. Your top 10 sounds like it might be there and thereabouts, but mine's probably going to change a lot more than both of yours. I can probably say that. Um, I was tossing and debating where I would... That sounded wrong. Um, I was tossing and debating where I would put this into relation to other films. And, I mean, I put A View to a Kill third. And <laughs> I love A View to a Kill. And I don't know if I love this more. Not Roger Moore. But, um, I don't know. I, I went over it. I went over it. I went over it. And I am putting this at number four. I am putting this just behind a view to a kill and i was i'm debating like do i put this above goldfinger or below goldfinger i'm putting it above goldfinger i 
it's again one of these films that I can just put in easily and enjoy like we say that a lot about films and I think what takes the cake for me with this one it's a little bit newer I'm more of a newer film fan the old film not to take away from the Connor and the classic Bonds but there's just something about this that I can sit down and watch and I think what wins it slightly over Goldfinger for me and laugh all you like Colin Hilding it's Aha's song so that is what sneaks it (laughs) over Shirley Bassey so, yes, number four, The Living Daylights are the only films to me that are ahead of it. Uh, Spy Love Me at number one, Majesty's at two, View to a Kill at three, and then Living Daylights. All right. <laughs> 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 you, you, you had me until uh-huh. Um, let's uh-huh. move on to the controversial segment, uh, which I'm hoping will be a lot easier this time. Mr. Kiss, kiss, Mr. Hall of Fame? Oh, Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Mr. Travers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's quickly get out of the way. Bond, James Bonds, does he only have the one? Yeah, and it's an awesome one. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if it was. It was okay. Um, (laughs) But let's go to Martinis. He has two in this. I've got three. What's the third? I've got two. Well, what are the two? And then I'll try and tell you the third. <laughs> oh, that was actually fighting back this time. Well, I love that because I've, I've listened to a few of these now when Colin's always got the, what's the third? And now he usually backs down. But now no one's actually going, what are the two? It, but he, they allude to it. So Well, there's one the where you see night. somebody make it for him and they're shaking it. He goes, just the way I like it. There's the other yeah, one where he orders. Counts. Yeah, I know. I counted oh. that as one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nah, no. Next one. And then there's one where he orders it at the beginning. Um, I didn't mark where it was in the movie. And then she makes him one. Yeah, Isn't the that poison. the one I was talking about? Where the poison? It's got well, poison, it's poison in it, is but it... it's still a martini. Is that the one I was thinking of where she made it? And he says that's just the way I liked it. I. No. I think that's that scene. I think that's that bit, isn't it? What other bit yeah. is? And then he orders it at one point. Yeah, we've right. That's that one. two. So if you're good on counting, you'll realize that you're missing the third number. Yeah, and that's been Felix's hookers. shaken, not stirred at another point. <laughs> you're just making this up now. I'm not making. It. All right, I'll I'll have gladly put two in, but we're wrong though. It is three, but I'll put two in if you want to, but it's wrong. You need well, to make better outvoted, notes next so time. It's outvoted, but it's wrong. Um, so you. <laughs> well, we'll do. We'll do like this. Colin. Yeah. No, I'm we'll happy to go this. with two, but just know that it's wrong. If you can go back before we record the next episode <laughs> and point it out to us, we'll provide. Life's too short. <laughs> To the third martini in the living room. He says, recording a three-hour podcast. Yeah, we spent about 20 minutes discussing Guy in the Grass at the beginning of Diamonds Are Forever, and life's too short about one martini. Um, I'm I'm put two there, but it is wrong, though. There was three. Well, I say put two there, that's right. All right, it's wrong, but put two down. (laughs) For the first time in this episode, I agree with Colin. Yeah. All right. This one, there's no way we're screwing up. Unless we're counting Koskoff's uh, tongue hockey with Bond, it's only one for the kiss kiss. Was she the Two. only... You're joking, aren't you, Ben? The woman at the start! Ooh. He, he dropped in and made a phone call on her dad's but cell phone. But he says, make it two hours. We've implied yeah, no. more than that. We impl- oh, I, I didn't what? count it, but I actually think Ben's right. I'm changing mine to yeah. two. I didn't count it, but you're right. 
Yeah, I th- yeah, that's that's a fair argument. For once, you made a good argument, Ben. Ease. You're breaking well wow. here. And can we put Martini's up to three now, then? No. <laughs> No. He has three <laughs> it's not even a Ben joke. actually made an argument. You're like, there was the one where he ordered it, and then there was the one where she made it for him. That's three. Well, unlike the Martinis, <laughs> there are only two women in this film. Where were the other women? Like this was a very <laughs> man centric film. Well, there was there was uh, Motorboat Girl. Hookers. Money Penny, yeah, Felix's Hookers. Alright. Let's get in, to in, the one. In all seriousness, was this... Actually, no, never mind. Keep <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not bringing the debate into this. I'm going to see if I'm this right about good. this. This will be I good. have three kills. I have... First, just tell me, did anybody else get a different number? I got a different I have number. Five. How many did you have, Ben? Five. I've got five. Okay, wait. Oh! I'm going to give you my three. Tell me again what I'm missing. Mm. There's the my guy five. at the beginning that goes off the cliff. Yep. Yep. There's Necros, and then yep. there's Whitaker. Now, who else yep. am I missing? What about the two guys and on the two bridge? two guys in a tank. On what the bridge that he blows up. He drops the bomb on the guys on the bridge, and he kills two guys in the uh, tank. You know, I didn't even look at that scene to see who died, because I was well, so annoyed. I, rewound, and I rewound it, because I needed to count how many people were on the bridge. I'm like, is there two Technically, there? it's a bit iffy, because they were in tanks, so there could have been more people in the tank. But I think you yeah, can assume but- that... At least one was driving, and at least one was operating the turret. So that makes. I two. could clearly make two out when I rewound it. So I just went with two because I could. Well, see I wrote two, two, so I'm okay. guessing it's right. Yeah. Okay. So I'll I'll give that. I didn't even count that one. I'm I'm still going to say again for people who think like this is the edgy Bond. Ben, what is the lowest kill count we've had so far? Man one. with golden gun one. And outside of that. Five. Oh, this is equal. I think we had a five, didn't we? Yeah, it's equal. But this is definitely one of one of the lower ones, right? Well, we've had a, a lot of the malls actually were quite low, though, weren't they? Like we didn't, wasn't it? Octopussy was the first real one, and View to a Kill were. Well, kind I'm of looking at it right free. here, and a View to a Kill was equal low at five, and then five. The, yeah, so Octopus they're the two 15. equal low. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> okay. for Octopussy. For your eyes, thirty-five for Octopussy. 11. <laughs> Uh, eleven in Fear Eyes only. Yeah, uh, Moonraker. Yeah, Moonraker had fifteen. So this is very low, and I, I this is again just an annoyance with the way people perceive this movie because there were plenty of opportunities. He didn't have to choke a guy's nostrils with his handcuffs. He could have just you know, strangled his neck. Um, well, come not- on, Colin. We're about to see the li- uh, license to kill. I think we're going to up the count a little bit more. Please don't remind me of that. Start. Painful thing we're gonna have to watch in another it's kind week. Of ironic <laughs> that the n- name of the title is probably gonna be one of the most kill counts of the whole time. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, we're we're in agreement. We don't really have any arguments to make this week, other than Martinis, which who thought we'd ever argue on Martinis? It's wrong. But until Noah can prove he actually has a third, we're gonna stick with two. So now we can move um, on to do our you want the totals. Oh yeah, go for the total. <laughs> Wait, Ben's an idiot. Let's move on. Oh, wait, sorry. Go. Hey, excuse me. I I think I turned your opinions on a few of them. That's like the best I've ever had on this. So go me. Um, one. So total kills two. The kills I was with you on the turn oh, okay. Colin's mind. Um, oh, I did it again. There's three. Uh, one sixty nine <laughs> total kills. <laughs> um, oh, intimate encounters. <laughs> Yeah, I want to roll now. Uh, 41. Austin, <laughs> not a quiche. Um, martinis were up to 10. Um, 11. Asterix, possibly 11. 
And Bond James Bonds were up to 17. Okay. And now we can get into our... It's the whole, the whole with the classic scenes. Hall of Fame. I love, I love how you were like, we can get into our whole. Hall. I was trying to do the, the delay for the beginning. I wanted to sing along with it this time. You sound like you're about to hock a loogie or something. Like, oh, that's that's a intro. That's our new intro. We can get rid of the bad old one. Hall of Fame. I was I was doing it in along with some of the German characters in this one. Hall of Fame. All right, let's get in. That was that was my impression. I should have done that as a poo. I'm sorry. Hall of Fame. German poo. Cello right, case. So- Aston well, Martin. no, no, no. Let's, let's um, slow down a second. There was one. I think we all were. Uh, pretty much on board with earlier on uh can we agree on koskoff's defection his escape no no <laughs> shooting <laughs> cars great scene, but it's like a 20 minute scene like it's like it's like five or six minutes this isn't the scene hall of fame this is the freaking quarter of the field hall of fame well what made the hall of fame interview do a kill i can't remember <laughs> The the Eiffel Tower and Paris Chase, uh, Zoran's massacre in the mine, and the Golden Gate final battle. Well, in fairness, we did put the Thunderball final scene, and that went for about eighteen years. I disagreed with that, but anyway. Look, I will put uh, possibly on that, Colin. But I've got three other ones, so. I think we all are agreements with kind of the car chase slash. Uh, I've got nothing Shall to declare, aren't we? Yeah, that has to be. In there. It's so yeah, awesome. but is that one scene or two scenes? That's I think we one because it, it continues directly on. Like it's not like. Uh, yeah, that. the only thing I, I just feel like they're two very distinct action scenes that are just played back to back. I think it's one moment. Well, I think I think it kind of. I mean, in Man with the Golden Gun, we included ooh, like all together <laughs> in a car chase. So I guess okay. we kind of yeah. Chase scene with the cello. Oh, fire today and changing people's minds. <laughs> Far out. Don't get too far. <laughs> the plane at the end? Yeah, I'm putting that. Yeah. Plane yeah, easy just for the plane. stunt alone that deserves to be in there. And the car. Because um, it's cool. I've got so a third yeah. that I want to put What's up, your third one? But it's going to get <laughs> shut down anyway. But then if Ben this agrees, maybe he can change form. Colin's mind. This roller is definitely coaster? a popcorn movie, Ben. Uh, so what's the third one? Yeah, not not roller coaster. <laughs> um, I oh. this is going to get turned down, but I think it's one of the best moments in Bond history. Bond lands on the boat. Bond, James Bond. Bond makes oh. it two hours with the woman. It's just always shown, and it's such a cool scene and so iconic. I, his introduction. No, I would mm. say Necros's milk bombing of the, oh, the house on. is much better than that. I think okay, I'm, I'm torn between boat landing and Koskov defection. Sell me on both. Go. Because well, I'll, see... I'll sell you on boat landing. Uh, one at a time. In there because <laughs> it's not that good. <laughs> Ben's like my boat's up for grabs. <laughs> you just go power mad in this last ten minutes, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an iconic scene. It's shown all the time. It's well shot. It's the introduction of a new James Bond landing Bond. James Bond and doing a cool like flip off the side of the boat, um, and then doesn't even come anywhere near Roger Moore with the zipper, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's better than the zipper, and then 
uh, the, the funny line that's a callback to Connery, make that two hours. I think Dalton delivers it great. Uh, the girl's quite funny, and I love the seriousness when he grabs the phone. I need this phone, uh, calling MI6, like, our agents have just been shot, and then, oh, but make it two hours. And it's just Dalton's one of his best scenes in my eyes. And it's definitely worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. Koskov's defection and Necros's milk bombing? Seriously? Koskov's defection is really good, but it's like 20 minutes of the film, though. No, you win. Well, oh, okay, yeah. what if we just went with Kara's fake assassination and the, the shooting her gun? Like, that yeah, part that, of it's pretty good, but scene. I still think the Dalton introduction, but I think oh, that Kara gun thrust quite good, though. I'm sold on the Dalton intro. Wait, Ben, this is, we've never done a Hall of Fame as a majority rule. <laughs> <laughs> Always agree. Ben's like, all right, well, I'm in the majority. Call in your own vote. <laughs> well, 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 I think there's no other way to solve have. This we is kind the of have. It I was because really... I disagreed with the Thunderball underwater. I wanted the Spectre meeting, but then Ben said no Thunderball underwater, and we didn't have Spectre <laughs> meeting, which is way more iconic. <laughs> Here's the difference, though. I'm not really on board with the whole pre-title scene being even a great pre-title scene. I think it's an average one, whereas the other ones are great scenes, and we all enjoy those scenes. We're talking about putting one in the Hall of Fame that I think is a pretty much a, a lousy scene. <laughs> but I didn't want Thunderbolt underwater. I wanted I love, I love Colin, Colin's arguments, kind of like, but, but I don't like it, so it shouldn't go in there. Well, I'm saying that one of the three of us is like, this should be Hall of Shame almost. And you're like, Thunderbolt, the, the climax of Thunderbolt gets ridiculed by pretty much every Bond fan, and we put it in the Hall of Fame. It right, get, think... it's, it's also held up as one of the most... There are entire movies that have based <laughs> themselves off of that sequence. Oh, I lordy. Think really, the fact that... <laughs> this is the last right. double or seven <laughs> episodes. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to go along with the pre-title scene, but I'm going to say, anybody who's listening, if anybody is listening, <laughs> please give us your votes. Even just tell us online. Well, the milk bombing and cost cost defection. <laughs> hey, hey, Noah. Are, are we fools for not putting those in over the pre-title scene? <laughs> hey, Noah. Noah. Guess what? We just changed Colin's mind again. <laughs> changed my mind. You, you basically. Hey, hey my hand. Doing bartering and stuff like this. I'll, I'll put the defection in if we make it three martini. No, no. I'm not saying we change oh, it. I'm saying I want people off, to but... tell us that we're wrong for putting this in because I know I'm right. The milk bombing is much better, especially <laughs> the fight in the kitchen. And the defection, of Koskov, oh my God. the defection of Koskov is like the best of Ian Fleming's short stories. It's handled perfectly in the movie. I don't think if you actually look at the running time, it's going to go 20 minutes. <laughs> it's probably shorter than the car chase slash cello Old chase. finger. Do, do, do. Let's move on. Man, the man with the gun. All oh, right, sorry. Um. All right. So Let's what happens to... now? Because I'm lost. All right. Well, it's um... in the Hall of Fame. It's just I'm asking people to tell us that I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened? To Let's this go on to. Though? Yeah. Let's go on to our final. It used segment, to be the which... fifth best James Bond podcast. Now we're like eight. <laughs> we're eight because like on Norwegian levels. Sound effects in. It's not for because of <laughs> over the pre-title scene of the daylights. Oh, uh, just do Let's whatever you want. Let's. Box office. I don't know. Box office.
I'm Peter Travers. He is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Oh, it's me. Hello. Give, give Hi, us your segment, you? Ben. Tell Take us. Take just some more minds on how much money this film made, Ben. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name's Ben Waterworth, and I'm the host of uh, 007, and I'm here to tell you about uh, Box Office. Um, I'm well, look, is the it... host. Not one of the hosts. <laughs> I am the host. Oh, uh, this is so <laughs> the final. Power trip, Ben. <laughs> What can I say? It's gone to my head. Bring back okay. Cable. <laughs> oh, Noah. Now, um, I love me some Dalton. There's no hiding that, but it's sad to say that Dalton doesn't bring in the box office. <laughs> uh, yeah, The Living Daylights, unadjusted, 13th, which actually isn't too bad, really. Um, 51,185,897 puts it ahead of Goldfinger and below for your eyes only. If you adjust it, however, um, probably not a good thing to do because it's 22nd, um, 109179100 bucks, just below A View to a Kill and just above The Man with the Golden Gun. And sadly, as we will find out in the next one, uh, you adjust the Bond films and two of the Dalton films are in the bottom three in terms of overall takings at the box office. So six-year gap between uh, Bond films coming up. Probably a little bit understandable. This, so you're actually and, telling me this did less than a view to a kill. When you adjust it, yes. I'm actually wondering whether they were concerned when the box office came into this, whether they should do another one, because that should be concerning if you switch bonds. It's different if you switch from Connery to Moore. Well, you know it's going to take a hit, but you switch from Moore at 57, <laughs> who's been there for for like a decade and a half, and the box office goes down. That's probably a little bit concerning unadjusted it only made eight hundred thousand dollars more than a view to a kill so <laughs> yeah um now i love peter travers one ranking really but i mean this is where peter travers becomes a bit of a dick i mean he puts this at number 22nd uh just ahead of t- oh god t- fuck off why has he got tomorrow never dies at 21st and license to kill at 20 no he's a wanker um <laughs> he says he says, after seven jokey Roger Moore takes on Bond, it came as a relief when Timothy Dalton debuted in the role. Dalton had training in classical theatre. Colin loves that. He had pedigree, looks class, but as Bond, he was, face it, dull as dirt. Yeah. The film with 007 taking down a renegade Russian general is also utterly humorless. Did he not see the bit when he crossed over the border? Did he Pretty not see that he bad. was actually an, an American general? Because I think he's referring to yeah. Whitaker there, isn't he? I don't think uh, Travis has seen these films. <laughs> uh, a Russian general, Jerome Krabby, Krabby, you know, whatever. Well, is Koskov um, the general much... in this? Oh, yeah, because I do call him General Koskov. Oh, okay. Ah, oh, Peter Travis is right. Um, too much spoofing is bad. See more. None is deadly. See Dalton. Well, it wasn't none, so you're wrong, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get an interview with Peter Travers? I'll just <laughs> probably sick that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. We probably could. So that's it for The cool. Living Daylights. We're about to get into the second half of Timothy Dalton's two films. Um, License to Kill is up next. We've talked about it a little bit throughout this. Uh, just briefly before we go, my opinion, License to Kill, I'm not even going to sugarcoat this. I always rewatch all the Bond movies before a new Bond movie comes out. That's pretty much the only time I ever watch License to Kill. Um, I never have a desire to watch this on its own. 
I barely view it as a Bond movie. This was probably as a result of slightly lower box office numbers, not even concerning, but slightly lower box office numbers. They went full-fledged American with this outside of having Dalton with an American accent. This was trying to be just an American action movie. I think it fails on almost every single level. And the funny thing is that the box office, from what I understand, was strong everywhere else in the world. But this tanked so hard in America that it basically ended the Bond series. And I can understand why, because it's like a poor imitation of Miami Vice. We've made jokes about it throughout. For me, this is I'm going to be shocked if we get through this. And this is not my all time bottom James Bond movie. I don't think Dalton works in this movie. I think there is the villains are okay i think there's one character in this movie that i absolutely love and we'll get to that in the next one um outside of that i'm not a fan of anything to do with license to kill really uh yeah uh, <laughs> it's good that we're branching out and we're doing our first non-bond film recap um really branching out on what we cover um it's such an anomaly. It is barely a Bond film. There's some things I genuinely like about the film, um, and there's some things I genuinely don't like about the film. I don't think I'm down on it as much as Colin was, and I don't think I'm high on it as much as Ben was, so I'm kind of in the middle once again. Um, Yeah, the villains are quite decent. The Bond girl is decent at best um so it's going to be an interesting one to rewatch. i don't rewatch it too often but i don't like completely blacklist it like colin um and it has a line in it which i don't know if it's the best line or the worst line in james bond history but we gave him a nice honeymoon oh. i thought you're gonna say license revoked <laughs> Oh, was that, are you done? Or but, yeah, that was my big finish. There was awkward silence, so I didn't know. <laughs> um, that was your fault because you didn't talk. <laughs> well, seems as I've been so persuasive in this episode, I look forward to you two ranking this in your top ten um, <laughs> next week. I freaking love License to Kill. Yay! No, I think this well, is, is a great God? film. In all seriousness, <laughs> I, I, I don't buy into this. It's not a Bond film. It's just an extended episode of Miami Vice. There are so many elements from this that make this a, almost a perfect Bond film. <laughs> it's like we, we get this... I always have this thing about your yeah, good guys kind of going rogue and turning bad. Like, I like to see what it was like. You know, and I think we kind of get a bit of an element finally in this where we see what James Bond would be like in certain situations. Hence why I really like this film. Yes, this isn't a perfect Bond film. I probably oversold it a little bit there. Um, but I like License to Kill, and I think License to Kill is a better film than Living Daylights. I've already rewatched it. I'm going to rewatch it again before we do it next week. And this just grows on me every time I watch it. You say you, you never watch it. I probably, outside the Brosnan films, this is a film I've probably seen the most out of all the Bond films. Um, I think it's got one of the greatest villains in the history of Bond. I I think that the, the female characters in it are underrated. Um, I love the fact that we get extended cue on the scene, which is fantastic. Um, and it's just, it's a great film. And I am going to do my very best to try and sell it, whether it's not to you two or it's just some of our listeners who might not necessarily like it, because I know this is not a liked film. I know this is universally hated as one of the worst Bond films. But, um, yeah, I I love it. I, I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, 
Sorry, I didn't realize you were done. That was another Colin's doing different stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think he just turned off. Oh, someone's talking about license killing a positive life. What's yeah. going on over there? What's oh, <laughs> That wasn't even scripted. That was perfect. It's two back-to-back awkward silences. Nobody pays attention to each other at the end of these episodes. That's what you really take away from Double R7. Well, after Let's just big Hall of Fame, no. Yeah. I didn't know people paid attention to us at all. So. <laughs> Let's just wrap this up. Uh, we'll be back for License to Kill. And uh, until then, I am Colin. And uh, wh- what's the, the line here? Uh, <laughs> let's end up this awkward pause. Well, Great. Is this a lie, the line? Closing. <laughs> <laughs> this is Colin. And insert awkward line here. Here, uh, my name. You're Noah. full of it, Ben. Let's move on. <laughs> my name's Zoran. Wow. This episode was really good, and then we got to like Tangiers and Afghanistan, and it took a massive nosedive. I don't know why. Um, and I hope we really did scare the living daylights out of you. Fucking stole my closing line, that prick. Um, what Collins did? Oh. Yeah, Collins. Um, <laughs> I'm. I'm Ben, and I didn't tell you to go down, and I didn't tell you to get up either. <laughs> so spin around and face that direction. Good night. And thank you for not missing this performance. If only I could find a real man. Bond, James Bond. Smear Spionum. Nip Spionum. Smear Spionum. Death to Spice. We have to nip smear spear them in the bud. You missed deliberately. I'm reporting to M that you deliberately missed. Your orders were to kill that sniper. Stuff my orders. Girl didn't know one end of a rifle from the other. Something we're making for the Americans. It's called a ghetto blaster. Looking for a party? We can have a party some other time. Relax, Yogi. Our engineers have spent months perfecting this. How many times have you done this before? You're the first. James, I will never forget what you did for me. Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. My cello! Don't worry, I'll get you another in Vienna. I must get my cello! No way! Why didn't you learn the violin? I didn't know you were such a music lover, James. Anytime you want to drop by and listen to my Barry Manilow collection. We've an old saying, duty has no sweethearts. We have an old saying too, Yogi, and you're full of it. Superb, Mr. Bond, superb. All right, you've had your rate. Now I'll have my 80. It's the first time I've ever been grateful that James Bond is a good shot. What's that supposed to mean? Fuck and the horse! Calling me a horse's ass. I know a great restaurant in Karachi. They can just make dinner. 
good news. You won't be hung in the morning. You will be shot. <laughs> didn't tell you to get down. I did not tell you to get up. Now, get up. <laughs> you didn't think I'd miss this performance. Nothing to declare! Let's Hello! Hello!